Ladies and gentlemen, welcome again to the Belated Box Office Podcast presented by Force to Be Social. It is a big night for us tonight. We are celebrating our 20th episode and we have something very special lined up for all of you. So without further ado, Pat, why don't you tell everyone what we watched this week? This week, uh, we did do something special. Usually we watch something that's new to at least one of us or, you know, not something that we've seen like a hundred times. But this week we watched The Boondock Saints which I've seen roughly like a hundred times. Um, yeah, that's a good number. That's... <laughs> the Boondock Saints was released in 1999 by Indican Pictures, and it stars uh, Willem Dafoe, Sean Patrick Flannery, Norman Reedus, David Delarocco, and Billy Connolly. So the story of the Boondock Saints follows uh, FBI Special Agent Paul Smecker. Uh, he's investigating a series of mob-related murders that are happening in Boston, and they're be, being committed by these two brothers, uh, both uh, devout Irish Catholics named Connor and Murphy McManus, uh, along with their friend uh, Rocco, who's a low-level mafia uh, package boy. Uh, he's kind of a like a grunt. Um, so the McManus brothers have started a religious crusade uh, that they're doing just to dole out vigilante justice on the Boston criminal underworld. Um, after they killed a couple of Russian mobsters in self-defense. And eventually, uh, with as, as they commit more and more murders, uh, they get the attention of a uh, uh, mafia don named Papa Joe Yacoveta, and he tries to put a stop to them by bringing in uh, this legendary mafia assassin who's known as the Duke. Uh, later on, Papa Joe captures them. Uh, he kills Rocco. But then uh, the Duke ends up saving the McManus brothers, uh, as he turns out to be their long-lost father. And then, uh, so the, the now the three McManus men, who are being uh, referred to as the Saints, um, they, uh, they recruit a bunch of uh, law enforcement to work with them, including Agent Specker. And uh, with his help, they, uh, they ambush a courtroom while Papa Joe is being, uh, being uh, tried for his crimes, and they just execute him in broad daylight. And then as credits roll, you can see that um, there's a there's a news report on the Saints and a bunch of a bunch of civilians and people that are commenting and they've gained a lot of like popularity as these uh, public figures representing you know the common people's desire to just rid the rid the world of uh, of uh, criminals and and other people and scumbags and you know people who threaten the everyday man with with violence and crime, lowlifes, pimps, drug dealers, all the all the pieces of work that. You know, everyday regular working class. Everyone who's just out there committing stuff. evil and getting away with it, and you know, yeah, it's like a commentary on the on all the red tape that uh, that you have to go through in the legal system just to just to uh, prosecute a an evil person who's uh, who, who's threatening the safety of everyday people. And the saints, uh, you know, they're not bound uh, by those uh, by those rules, and so they just go out and. They just, you know, if, if you're evil and you're doing that shit, they'll put a gun to your head and fucking put an end to it. I think it's it's a great kind of topic to cover, too, like this whole idea of vigilante justice. Like, you know these people aren't good people and they just haven't been busted yet. And they really did a good job of that in the end, the end credits when they're interviewing random Bostonians, right? And kind of asking them about their opinions on the Saints. And you see that diverse kind of like, I don't want to talk about it versus like a yeah, you guys are killing it. Keep doing it. And the other people that are like, you're doing horrible things. Like, who made you judge, jury, and executioner, right? 
That was really, yeah, the credits are rolling and there's the, this news coverage as they're kind of like putting a microphone in the face of people walking by or, or wherever they're going and just asking them their opinion on what the Saints are doing. And it is like, it's probably like a pretty realistic portrayal of, of like society's um, response to something like that. It's, it's, it's pretty evenly divided. Some people saying like, hell yeah, like, I fucking love that they're killing all these scumbags. Like, I'd do it myself with them if I could. And other people are like, well, that what gives them the right? Like, they're yeah. on this, uh, they think just because they believe in God, they they get to decide who lives and dies. And then most people are just like, yeah, no comment. Like, it's a pretty even <laughs> split that feels like, yeah, it, it, it feels kind of balanced, like you might see on the news. It's definitely an interesting question to pose to people, right? Like, kind of like the, if, do you agree with vigilante justice against evil people, right? And, of course, then there's the definition of what really, you know, how do you define evil? And I really, only question in this movie that I had about, like, well, hey, how do they decide, right? Is when they go into the, uh, I don't really know the word for it, but the private booth with the, the exotic dancers, the right? fucking jerk-off closet? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know how you those, describe that either. Those places yeah. do exist, I know, because I was offered a, a, a free show in Montreal, and I was like, wait, wait, I get to do what? And they're like, yeah, you get to do this. I'm like, I don't want to do that. That seems they really still, gross. They, like, they still exist? Uh, this, Even in the age when, like, everyone can just look at porn on their phone while they're sitting know, on this, the toilet This would have been 2006, 2007, when I went to uh, oh, okay. Montreal. A, probably a, a like the final show. death rattle of of jerk off closets or I, whatever they're called probably not they're probably i'm sure they're still around yeah I, i'm sure there's plenty I'm of them sure. they're probably just a little more a little more seedy and a little less obvious right but that that scene right there that's the only part in the movie where i'm like hmm who's who are the people they're really killing because they just look at these peoples and there's two dudes just getting it off and they're like they show kill. up to kill ron jeremy yeah ron jeremy's <laughs> porn in star movie, legend but also a piece of shit uh <laughs> yeah um, but yeah, they just look in these peepholes and they're like, well, if this mafia guy's doing it, these guys are probably pieces of shit too. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like that's the one. Yeah. You usually they have Rock, their buddy Rocco with them. Who's, mm -hmm. uh, cause he's got mafia connections. He knows who's like, the, who are the people like, you know, that are, that are murderers or whatnot who deserve to die. Yeah. But it's not, it's not like they check in with Rocco. Like, do you recognize these guys? They basically just, they show up. Ron Jeremy's in his booth jerking off pop pop they kill him he's dead there's two other booths there they look in it's like oh look two more fucking guys jerking off not anymore <laughs> and it's like well what did they ever do you know like i don't know i like how these like, guys oh, are pretty just... devout catholics so maybe maybe just jerking off by itself is enough for them to be like hey man that masturbation <laughs> is a sin it's time to die now yeah <laughs> <laughs> basically i don't know i think other these guys that... obviously were like raised <laughs> by nuns because they're irish catholics who don't know their father mm -hmm. so so like who knows the classic story who knows where they draw the line it's a what tough if, one what if you're just like sitting down to eat a burger on a friday night and the boondock saints just burst in they're like you eat fucking fish and chips on fridays and they fucking blast it red meat on a friday i don't think so <laughs> straight to hell heathen it's interesting it's that was the only part of the movie where i was kind of like oh whoa 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 slow your that road was the old that was the no, only no, part. like in terms of like who they were killing, everyone else. I was like, this totally makes sense. Like these guys are. It makes sense that they wouldn't want to kill them. Yeah. Yeah. Like so, I get the vigilante justice in that part, but the two strangers was kind of like, mm, they're just two guys, man. Maybe they were just having a rough night. Like their wife kicked them out, and they're like, whatever. I'm just gonna go to this really fine establishment in South Boston. Basically. 
and check that out and appreciate this. But uh, yeah, no, they got they got popped. They got uh, they got Wyatt Earped, man. It was yeah, like Rocco Rocco like groped an unconscious woman in that one scene. So the yeah. evidence against him is more damning than against these two guys jerking off just in that scene alone. I w- yeah, I would think so. But he he gets to repent by killing two people. He has <laughs> like, he's got to make up for that tit thing, man. I gotta, I'm such a fucking idiot. I gotta make up for the tit thing. I can't believe I sexually assaulted that unconscious dancer. Let me kill these two guys to make up for it. You're like, okay, yeah, right, conscious is clear. Clearly, your morals aren't quite set as straight as the other two guys. But uh, no, I mean, I mean, in terms of the people that were killing the vigilante justice, it all worked for me. But that, that was the one scene. Yeah, where that I'm one like, sticks that's, out. That's a little far. So I'm, I'm on the fence. If they were to put a microphone in my face and say, "How do you feel about the Saints?" I'd be like, "I don't know, man. They killed two random dudes, and everyone else could die, but whatever." I mean. Uh, <laughs> That was about but yeah, those two guys jerking off. Like, <laughs> I didn't know it was a moral crime to masturbate, but I'm not religious, so I don't really understand the the finer points. I don't think of the I don't think religion. religious people even understand it. <laughs> Good, I don't. I don't feel so. But we won't get so we won't get too much that. into the into the ins and outs of of Catholic morality because that's no. not really the type of podcast we're going for. And to tell you the truth, none of the scenes that were shot in the churches were Catholic churches catholic church wouldn't allow it they didn't agree didn't agree with the message of the movie so they went to the next best church which was a lutheran church i guess i don't know if that's like how it goes like catholic lutheran and then whatever else probably anglican under that i don't know (laughs) evangelicals i don't know they might be on the top actually now um but yeah so to me i thought that was a really cool thing to hear about it's like yeah here they come with this like really religious message of you know good triumphing over evil and you know the the indifference of good men and that kind of thing and the catholic church is like no fuck no we're not doing that because <laughs> well, the catholic church has like... such high moral standards for you know being good people yeah <laughs> not always nope no. But that's documented. Again, that's not our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We're not getting um, into it, but I just wanted to, to make be that fair, point. Yeah. To be fair, that one there that one scene where they um in the confessional booth where they pull the gun on the priest, it's kind of shown like it kind of backs up the Catholic Church not supporting the message of this movie because that priest is like he he um this this is when Smecker is is uh you know questioning his own morals and like worried about what does he he recently just found out who the who the saints are yeah and that they're two guys he knows and uh he has he's, an epiphany about his, his job and what he's doing and is it really doing yeah, good versus you know the guy he, yeah he, off he's kind of tested times. by thinking emma you know do i agree with these guys or are they actually in the right and i'm not yeah. um because you know i serve a system that lets these these criminals get get off scot-free and they just come in and execute them mm-hmm. and he goes to uh you know, he goes to a confessional booth to ask for uh, some advice of the priest, and he only kind of steers him in that direction because Rocco's got a gun pointed at his head. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Especially Even when he calls out, he's like, yeah, the two Irish guys, the Italian guy might hurt someone because he's kind of an idiot. And the priest is like, oh, God, the Italian guy's oh, the one no. with a gun to my head. I don't trust this guy. But, yeah, as he convinces Smecker to kind of, like, go with the saint's message, he kind of he's like, oh, Father, forgive me. Like, he only yeah. did it because he had a gun to his head. It was almost like he was looking for like confirmation bias in that sense, right? Because like he go, he went in there knowing that he was like, I agree with what these guys are doing. I just kind of need someone else to tell me that it's okay. 
And so the priest yeah. is like, whatever, man. Like, I don't, I don't care. Some people might shoot me if I say the wrong thing. So just you do you, homie. And uh, and that was that. He's like, all right. That and that's like... enough for him to, yeah, just basically ban- abandon, not really abandon his career because he kind of uses his pull as an FBI, FBI agent to get them into that trial in the final scene. But enough to, you know, tear him off, uh, steer him away from lawful good all the way to chaotic good right away, I guess. Yeah, and it didn't take much, right? It's almost like he had an epiphany. He's like, wow, these guys are smart. And uh, I'm having trouble figuring it out. But now that I've finally figured it out, I have, like, I admire them. And uh, you kind of see his admiration for them throughout the whole movie. Like, when they go into the, uh, after they, self in self-defense, kill the two Russian mobsters. Uh, yeah. They're when they show up at their weird cement languages. apartment, their concrete apartment. Yeah. They live in. <laughs> yeah, not an ideal place to live. I was always, like, thinking, like, where do the saints live? Like, do they live, like, is this just an apartment that's so bad? It's like, yeah, we got concrete floors and concrete walls. Or do they literally live in, like, a warehouse? I never quite figured that out. Like, even the elevator was kind of one of those old school, like, slide the gate down and just go to whatever floor you want. Like, it's not like there's any security. You know what I mean? Like, there's no left, locks yeah. on the door. Like, obviously, like when there's just... two guys break in, it's not like they knocked on the door or had to, like, you know, they just kind of opened up the elevator gate. There's just, like, squatters in this abandoned, like, warehouse, for all we know. I think they mentioned what it was, and honestly, that was something that I completely overlooked. I just remember it being like, wow, that place is a shithole, you know? <laughs> Like, it really is, yeah. Yeah, like these guys live in complete squalor, and like they just they just love to drink and work at the meat packing plant and and do all and that. Go to church, go yeah. to morning mass, and that's mm-hmm. about it. That's like all they do. Yeah, they basically just work, go to church, and get shit faced. It seems like every night, you know, like they uh, they're at that bar. Obviously, they're the bartender, one of my favorite characters in the movie. Doc, uh, yeah, with Tourette's okay. there, and he's just. He loses it in the hospital after they get, they go to the the in front uh, of all the yeah after they go to the hospital and they're all banged up and he's just screaming he's like a, and he's like a Porky Pig almost like his his stutter when he just like Porky Pig would like stutter stutter over an easy word and and then like say a a more difficult word it was it was really well done like a profane Porky Pig with uh with Tourette's I really liked his character but he works. I like I like just proverbs. His mixing up of all these all these sayings that everyone knows, and it's just hey, oh people man, people in glass houses sink ships. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty dumb. Make like a tree and get the fuck out of here. Like that one was that one was classic for me. All right, well that, that one that one was classic when they first did it in uh, in the Back to the Future. I mean, he lifted that right up right off of Biff Tannen. Fair enough, man. Let's now, be honest. I think you know as well as uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't. I don't know, Dick, about that movie. I think I've seen it on AMC in passing, like a couple scenes here and there. But that's good to know. That's, I, I, that, we'll I, get to it. I think so. I think that'll we'll be a good do. one to get to. Um, we're, we're gonna have some some Back to the Future episode here, and I think uh, I think I'm gonna call it in pretty soon. Like some. This is our 20th episode, so some sometime before the 30th, I think. I think that's fair. Yeah. We'll we'll do. I don't know what we're going to do, whether we're going to do the first one or the sequels. We'll see. TBD, everybody. We can figure it out. Yeah, exactly. Who cares, right? You know what we never hit on is uh, one of the standards we usually get out of the way is, is the money, man. The money. Follow the money. Now, this movie, I don't think we've ever had numbers this bad and this off-putting. There's a little bit of, little bit behind this, you know, 
behind the whole reasoning it, it goes this this badly but uh let me drop it for you this way the budget for this movie was estimated around six million dollars can you take a guess at what the box office got um i'm gonna say well i i do know i'm kind of cheating because i know that it like had no advertisement because of the time frame this movie was released like right after the columbine shooting mm-hmm I'm going to say 9 million. Yeah, you're about 9 million dollars off. Really? This movie in the box office roughly 30 30.5,000. About $30,000. Oh no. This movie box office $30,000. It's like as soon as I pay off my car, I'm going to be worth more than this movie made. <laughs> This movie did 19.9 thousand um, in the U.S. box office. Gross. Gross. That's not Boy. what the movie got back. Um, something to, to keep in mind, like you said, with the timing of the Columbine shooting and stuff like that. And there was some yeah, other which hurt it a lot. It. it really did, because this movie was over-the-top violent, right? And like it, people didn't want it to be taken the wrong way. And obviously, in a, in a... not only over-the-top violent, but it was about like just purging the wicked. Yeah, which, which is kind of like was kind of what the the message those you know those kids were were trying to get across. Like it's not our fault; it's everyone else's fault. Type deal. So this movie yeah. actually only got to go into I think it was like five theaters, and it was maybe in theaters for like a week. Oh yes, so, fair enough. I've... You know, like it's hard to make it's hard to make millions of dollars if you're only allowed to have one weekend premiere and uh, five days following. They're just like, no, pull it, and you only get five theaters, man. Like how how many? What are they, yeah, it's kind of like, what do they yeah. expect? How many seats can you fill in five theaters? You know what I mean? At, at well, back in 1999, seven bucks a pop probably for a movie. Um, but it was, it's a cult classic, right? So this movie, you know, it completely bombed in the box office numbers, but they accredit, or they credit Blockbuster for saving them. This movie ended up grossing 50 million domestic in video sales. After it kind of got momentum in the uh, in the VHS department and, and maybe the DVD department later on, but I mean, fifty million is not bad for creating good. a you know, and that's just on on DVD VHS sales, right? So like you know, and, and maybe rentals and stuff like that. But it was which were well, rentals definitely that's cheaper than a movie ticket back then. Yeah, I think it, it was like five served. bucks to rent a movie, and you could get like four friends together. Or five friends together, each a dollar each, right? So, yeah, it's yeah, a little you different. Get, like, you get, pay five bucks and you bring it home, and you can get, you know, your whole family and all your friends to watch it. Well, you, yeah, it's funny now because you can kind of see how that backfired. Looking into the pandemic and stuff, when they couldn't go to theaters, so now when you want to rent a movie that comes out like on Disney, they're like, oh yeah, a movie ticket would have cost you like sixteen bucks, but if you want to watch it on Disney, it's gonna be thirty five. Yeah. Like, fuck. They're like, well, we know you're gonna have a few people over, so you guys can split the cost, right? <laughs> well, yeah, which we've done. Mm-hmm. We've done that with a couple movies. Um, it's not unreasonable to do it, for thirty-five it, bucks. You better get your money's worth, yeah, right? It it can work out. Mm-hmm. It can't work out, but yeah, definitely not like in the blockbuster days where you could pay, like you said, like five bucks to have it for a weekend, watch it a bunch of times if you want. Yeah. It was. Uh, those were the days, man. What's that quote from The Office where they're like, I, I, I wish you could have some sign that you're in the good old days before you've left them. <laughs> like, I think about that about Blockbuster a lot. I think it's somewhere between the ages of 15 and 25. 
after that, like whatever you don't, you know, it, it's, it's over for you. The good old days are long gone. You know, you got to make right, the well, best of it. But I couldn't believe know, it. You know where you're at in life. <laughs> the good old days? I mean, I don't think you can say that unless you're you're older than 25. I think it's it's a hard thing to come by, right? But uh, I still couldn't believe it. When I read the numbers for the box office, I had to do more investigating. $30,000? It's like, what, what happened here? So I did a yeah, little bit of research, but I mean... Also, the movie was just, it, it got shit on. And a lot of it was the, the political stance on, on a, a lot of it had to do with Columbine and, and what was kind of going on around that time. But uh, it came around, man. So like Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 28%. The audience gave it a 91%. So you can see the, the massive difference Huge. Uh, between the numbers there. Now, because it's a cult, cult classic, really, is it just the people that know about this movie going in and being like 100%, 100%, 100%. Probably more or less. It's like if you if you know if you love this movie, then you know it. Yeah. If you don't love it, you might have seen it once and just forgotten about it. Exactly. And I think Google, like the Google reviews for it, it's like ninety percent of people like this movie. I'm like, okay, that's right on par with the audience. That's fine. Ninety percent of people bothered to rate it. Exactly. And I, I think uh, IMDb kind of hit the spot with a seventy eight percent, seven point eight out of ten. I think that's a more legitimate kind of score. It kind of balances between all the people taking a crap on this movie when it first came out versus how it was actually received by the public. So that was pretty cool. I mean, this movie was not ever nominated for any awards. It was basically just, it might as well have been straight to DVD. That, that's the way it should have been. Honestly, yeah, it would have probably cut costs. Yeah. I mean, it might have. but <laughs> uh, I don't think they were worried about costs at the time. I think they thought it was going to be good. And obviously some producers and, uh, and studios oh, yeah. thought it would too. But, you know, it, it's a cult classic, and it's definitely a personal favorite of mine. Like, you said you've seen this movie about 100 times, and I almost said those are rookie numbers. Like, you got to pump those numbers up, man. Yeah. But, I mean, like, it, yeah, I've got, to, I've got to have put at least 100 watches into this movie. So, well, I guess we got to get into, uh, you know, just summer. When did you first see this movie? What was your experience with this movie like up to this point? Because, obviously, I, it's a story. You've got a storied career of watching this movie. I think the first time I would have watched it would have been with my older brother. I think he was the one that turned me on to it. I think it was VHS. I might actually have the VHS somewhere in my house. I didn't bother to look just because it doesn't really add any value. But uh, it would have been like early, early 2000s, like not long after the release. It would have been one of those action films that he would have heard about from one of his buddies. Being a young guy, it's just kind of like, oh man, you got to check out this action film. It's It's intense. And since the first time I watched it, I haven't ever turned down watching it. Or if anyone's like, oh, what's a good like a good action movie? It's always one of the top recommended movies I'll throw out there. And so for me, it's it's been a staple since I was, you know, 11, 12, maybe. So, wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's way earlier than me. Yeah. I mean, I've like, <laughs> I brought out, I'll probably bring up a lot on this podcast that I was like, being like the oldest kid. Um, and, and having parents that were like, kind of like leery of like higher ratings. Like it was way later that I was getting into like, uh, R rated movies and stuff like that. Like when you're the oldest, like the rules are way stricter on you at any given age than your younger siblings, right? Your parents get kind of lax later on. So yeah, definitely it would have been unthinkable for me to discover a movie like this when I was 11. Um, I was probably about 19 
and I was uh, there was a job I was working at. I was in I was in university and I like had a job I was working at in summers, which was like the slackest job I've ever had that anyone's probably ever had. And there was like tons of time to just like hang out in the break room and watch movies, play video games, like hours. You know what I mean? So I just got, somebody would bring this into work and be like, you guys got to check this out. And I was like, what's up with this movie? And I think, I think some guy like who brought it in summarized it. He's like two Irish guys just kill all the bad men in Boston. And I was like, man, fuck yeah let's let's put it on right now like i'll watch it twice and i did and yeah. then it was like a couple of summers in a row it was on like every day and then like yeah. like you since then like i've never turned down the 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 chance to watch it like i bought it on blu-ray mm-hmm. uh like the collector's edition case and yeah like it's always just been one like if i'm just you know, if I want to just get back to something that I'm comfortable with, that like feels feels like home, like a comfort watch, I throw on the Boondock Saints, and it's, like it's very yeah, it's relaxing. over, it's over the top. The message, like it's a ham-fisted way of like like this message of like vigilante justice. Like it's not it's not a movie that that goes very deep into like exploring the subject of vigilante justice. It's a very superficial and uh like action-packed surface level exploration of it but yeah. it's they kind of skip fun. over the whole aspect of like why would somebody ever be driven to this and they're just like no these guys it just everything just fell into their laps it basically you know and they're was... just like hey that was cool you want to like do it again <laughs> and they were like yeah you're like look at all these cool guns and all this money we got from killing those Russian guys that tried to kill us. Like, let's do it again. Let's have some what fun. A great, what a great moment where it really defines the characters when, when those Russian mobsters show up. And, of course, they cuff one of the brothers to the toilet, take the other down to shoot him in the alley. Of course, he rips the... Just because he's, like, so full of, like, Jesus. Irish rage. I was going to say Jesus. Just, yeah, same thing. He just rips the toilet right out of the ground and then goes up to the roof and, and hucks the toilet at these guys. And jumps off the roof on the other guy, and of course gets oh, fucked man. up because he jumped. He just jumped like six stories, and and his brother, like before picking up his his twin brother to bring him to the hospital for medical attention, steals the guns and wallets off the, off these Russian guys. Yeah, just completely like, rolls. Like oh, take this shit. Okay, I just need. I need. I need, like, I need well, another minute. Fucking... Catholic I need another minute to right appreciate there. the whole like Irish rage is basically just being filled with Jesus. That... <laughs> well. Jesus and Guinness and potatoes. Let's be let's be fair clear. enough. Fueled by potatoes and Guinness and guided and by fish Jesus, and chips. right? Fish and chips on Fridays. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. But oh, uh, that scene when yeah, he jumps from the roof. Like... I, I did the math. I think they said uh, we're going to the fifth. So they go to the fifth floor, right? Which means mm-hmm. that his brother approximately jumped fifty feet. I mean, if we're talking 10-foot Well, it could have been even more than that because, like, right? they never said they went to the top floor. No one said they were the second from the top, so maybe there were a couple stories ahead of top, well, above when you, him. Well, when you watch the scene when he's on his balcony, like, he's... There's nothing above him. It doesn't look him. much more than five I don't, I don't think there's anything above him. Um, but I just remember that scene, and, like, I was like, okay, man, he's making a big jump here. Let's see how it goes. And he kind of just, like, skids off the back of that guy and, like doesn't yeah. break any bones i'm like i mean 50 foot jump you're getting hurt you're not just like oh i'm gonna limp this one off let's go to the cop station now like the next yeah. or the same day maybe next sticks day, and maybe? stones may break your bones but a 50 foot fall kill y'all yeah fucking that's what i thought right 
That's and a then, quote from Fresh Prince back in the day. I just I couldn't believe it, man. For me, that was like okay. There's again, there's there's a lot of this stuff in this movie that's over the top. I still love it, but that was one scene I in particular was like very paying very close attention to in the most yeah, recent no, watch. Kind of like it's ludicrous. Like it's it's weird for that. And then there's the, also the um... I'd miss the guy. So here here here's me doing the exact same thing. Drop the toilet, probably hits my brother and kills him. Jump and then land right yeah. beside the other Russian mobster, and they both just look around like. Fuck yeah, it. we're gonna jump and you suicide. like misjudge it, so you like actually hit the wall when you're still two stories from the ground of the right. building across from you in the alley. And they just walk away. The land and like the back of your head hits the <laughs> hits the pavement, and you just here's the alternate. Yeah, here's the alternate ending. This movie could have been a short. The cops come yeah. in. They're like, "Brother feud, murder, suicide." <laughs> yeah, the eyes not even called in. Like, it's just like, "Ah, let's just clean these." If it were up. you and your brother, it would be like a 15 minute movie. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I would have even pulled the toilet up, man. <laughs> I'd have just been uh, like, "Well, shit. I guess, I guess this is happening." That's I don't know. That's probably farther than me and my brother would get. I mean, like, we probably would have been kicked out of the bar and been like, "Oh, fuck it," and like, I've been kicked out of nicer places. They're like, "No, again. you haven't. You've never been kicked <laughs> out of a nicer place." <laughs> yeah. It would have been you we and your brother just in the bar in the bar. Like, why don't just you like, guys get the fuck out of here? You know, like you, those guys were rude, and then we just go home and play Mario Kart. There, you, yeah, exactly. <laughs> in, in your fucking cinder block apartment, mattresses <laughs> on the floor, yeah. right? Just hang the rosaries up on, right? <laughs> hey man, as long as you got, as long as you got like at least Mario Kart sixty four or later. It's true. It's whatever. Honestly, and there's a couple levels in the NES one that I could uh, I could definitely play anytime. Uh, I think it's Koopa Beach. I think that's my favorite in the uh, that's a good one. The old Nintendo. Yes. Um, I do want to say I didn't know this before doing this show. Troy Duffy has had he was he's in a band. He was in a band, and two of his songs were in this movie. Hmm. Yeah. So the scene Not surprising. Where, I Troy did, Duffy, I I'm know. pretty sure, if I remember correctly, maybe you look this up. Troy Duffy's band, after this movie was released, they changed their name, the name of the band, to the yep. Boondocks Ace. It used to like, be called The Brood. Yes, The Brood. And then and he's then, like, I need to hype this movie up that only made $30,000. Like, our bands made more than that playing garage shows. More or less. <laughs> and the only two movies that Troy Duffy has directed to this day is The Boondocks Ace. And the one we said we wouldn't talk about in this episode. The movie that shall so, not be named. Yeah. Shall not be named this time. I gotta give but, him credit, man. I think I, I I love his I love this movie. I'm gonna tell you, man, this song, he's got a song, it's called Holy Fool, and that's the song they were playing when Rocco goes into the cafe after he just founds out he's been sold out by the mob. Oh well that worked. That was that's like a, a good, good tune, man. It's it's good that. and it fits like that that very much feels like uh, sort of like a like a good it's a it's a good one for a mob movie right like it, it like just worked out like, like it just felt appropriate like i don't know if they wrote that song for the movie or if that song was already made and he's like i gotta put my own song in here and so it was just, it was it was the appropriate choice and honestly there's that one and i don't know if this is their song too but later on when they when they go to the poker game and uh you know the rocco beats that guy with the pool uh the the cue ball yeah, um, I was really feeling that song that they were playing. Like that really fit like a 
fit like a glove. And I think that like a lot of like what I like about this movie is that it's a good packaging of like the tropes of like mob movies, like mafia movies, like some of Scorsese stuff, like like your Goodfellas and whatnot. And some of Tarantino's early stuff, like Reservoir mm-hmm. Dogs and Pulp Fiction, it's it's kind of obvious that that's what Duffy's mainly drawing influence from. And he's pretty good. Like he's good at kind of emulating what's what makes you feel cool about those types of movies. Yeah. And he's just doing it through the through the lens of like these guys who are on this like religious crusade instead of it, being gangsters themselves. It's like a, it, in in a sense they almost are gangsters, right? They're basically just committing murder and robbery. In an in essence, right? Well, and, yeah, and it's against. It's like they talk about like do not do not steal, do not do not do not rape, do not murder, murder do right? not rape. They don't rape anybody, but like yeah, I guess Rocco grabs a boob of a passed out chick, but like they're stealing stuff. Like I said, like like uh, like Murphy fucking steals those guys' wallets before he gets his brother to the hospital. Their it's wallets. A, it's and their it's guns. like a. It's like why is it cool for him? It's like an Irish Robin Hood. You know? Yeah. More or less, like the boon, the, the saints are hypocrites. Like, oh, hundred percent. But it's really, but it, it's like th- that's not really what the movie's about. Like, it doesn't ruin it for you that they're like total, total hypocrites, and that their message is muddied and really like falls apart if you examine it. Because the movie's not about like saying something deep about the message. It's just like we're gonna explore this on a surface level yeah. to have a real, just to have a real fucking fun shoot 'em up movie. As if Where? movies, like, especially action movies in the 90s, like, do you think they were really exploring the human psyche? Do you know what I mean? Like, they're, well, fucking, they're, en- they're entertaining. I mean, here's, the, well, here's the thing. Like, here's here's the thing, though. One of our favorites that we've done by by one of our new favorite filmmakers, uh, Point Break. Yeah. Um, they look, they kind of, like, it's not up front, but it's, like, it's really, like, they really kind of, like, got into the psyche of adrenaline junkies in that movie. And still made a good mm-hmm. action movie. Yeah. Um, and this movie doesn't do that, but it's not trying to. So it's not like you can hold it against it anyway. Like, but I mean, like, you look at the other film that we did by Catherine Bigelow, you know, Hurt Locker. Like, that was all psyche and kind of understanding, so. you know, in terms of the uh, the personal development and the conflict within people and what makes them tick and stuff, right? But I mean, like, are you going to tell me so, that, sure. that Rambo 3 was like uh exploring the human psyche it's like no at this point in time it's just like a let's destroy everything movie you know what i mean and like terminator 2 yeah. i didn't really see a lot of like explore there was some mentions of it like with james cameron going on about like you know the some subtleties and stuff like the, that the, but it's, like yeah the kids playing guns and uh but there, really, there's that one thing where the two kids are playing with the guns and and uh and um Sarah Connor just looks at him. She's like, "We're do." She's looking at him like, "Oh yeah, that's the nature of humans. Like we're or innately like, Terminator. And... Like this is the only father John will ever know type deal." And blah blah blah. There's some stuff like, going on. There's got to be some stuff. There is, but let's be honest. On, the demographic they're trying to reach is not is. people who are like, "Let's explore the human element of a robot war." No, no. I well, want to no. watch the Terminator and shoot stuff. Well, that's why that movie's like a massive blockbuster, and what to yeah. this day one of the biggest massive blockbusters. Like, it's a people pleaser. Right. Um, and I think this movie had that, those elements, but again, just be, if you only get shown in five select theaters, and you're only allowed to be in the theaters for like a week or so, you're just not going to hit those audiences. But obviously, people enjoyed it because, well, fifty million dollars goes, you know, does a lot of a lot of talking. Yeah, it's like the Family Guy of movies. Yeah, absolutely. Um, family Guy got canceled. And then uh, DVD sales were massive. 
I was probably I was surprised. Probably always will be like the the biggest DVD, the biggest selling show on DVD ever. Probably right. Like it was really no, it was but was nobody's buying DVDs for shows now, especially so. when it got canceled. Right, everyone's kind of like, oh, I kind of like that mm-hmm. show. Why'd they get rid of it? But the one critique I didn't really like about it, and you brought it up, is like how he was drawing from you know. He, I didn't see a lot of mentions of Scorsese, but I saw a lot of people being like, way to take Quentin Tarantino's style and completely mess it up. It definitely like, is. Well, you I don't can... know. I, I think he draws... It's okay for an artist to draw influence from another artist. So Absolutely. I think it's okay that he draws inf- influence from Tarantino and but it's not exactly the, the same. Here's the Even thing if you think Tarantino's better, which he, which he is. By he is. Uh, well, t- Quentin Tarantino has... He, he's tried, tested, and true, man. Like... A, Patrick imagine Duffy if we imagine movies? if we were just like turn this into a debate. Like, is Troy Duffy a more talented filmmaker than Tarantino? Maybe a more talented musician. <laughs> Maybe Basically. I don't even know. I'm sure Quentin Tarantino's got a few. And then I'm going to play one on one against LeBron James, and then you go, yeah. fucking like <laughs> fight Mike Tyson. <laughs> I can outscore Connor McDavid in the NHL. I'm just going to go ahead and say that right now. He's an amateur. I don't know anything about hockey, so I don't even know if that's a joke. Yeah, no, not, well, yeah, let's just leave that one alone. <laughs> uh, but no, it, it kind of bothered me to like to shit all over a movie and be like, wow, way to take an idea that Quentin Tarantino did and then just like make it over the top. It's like, well, that's that's what he did. And obviously people liked it. And just because you thought he was like robbing ideas from Tarantino doesn't make the film any less good. I mean, you could say... Now, like, can, you, can you elaborate there? Like, are people saying... He like he took it up because this the premise of this movie is not like the same like the same as the premise of any of Tarantino's movies really. What what are people saying about besides him like having the same? I think trying to go for the same style. I think I read six like short critiques or like segments of critics you know writings and it was like basically they were just saying it's like way to attempt to make a Tarantino style film and just not be any good at it. Okay. It's like, so it's like, okay. oh, this is clearly influenced well, by Tarantino, but it's not. It's not Tarantino. It's like, well, of course it's not Quentin Tarantino. Well, this was fine. written and directed by Troy Duffy. Like this was his own film, and so if he was influenced by yeah, another and director, Tarantino like, was a him. massive breakout star a few years earlier. So, and right. he's trying to make a movie in the same genre. So why wouldn't he draw influences from him? It I was, agree. I I agree. That's kind of unfair criticism. It is absolutely. Could you imagine trying to make like a World War II film now and be like, ah, oh, way to steal Spielberg's idea of Nazi Germany? Like, what the fuck? Like, how am I, sp- <laughs> how am I supposed to? Or it's dip- like you don't get to change what happened or what it was like. Like, just because somebody did it better, doesn't yeah. mean that you're trying to rip their ideas off, right? And so that was, to me, that was just kind of like it's just really it's a really weak jab. It you know was, I mean? you know, it was. I think it was probably the messing with the timeline stuff because we we haven't gotten into this, but the the whole movie's basically moving from one set piece to the next where mm-hmm. um, the saints show up and they, and they shoot up these gangsters at whatever, whatever locale it is, but it's shown, it kind of shows them getting ready to go in there up to a point, And then it kind of fades to black. And then there's Agent Smecker and the, all these Boston cops he's working with investigating, trying to decipher what happened. And it kind of goes back and forth between uh, Smecker and the cops investigating and 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 drawing their conclusions and then showing what really happened when yeah. the when the McManus brothers were there doing their thing. 
Which so I it, thought it, was it, one of the, the greatest movie, the greatest aspects of this movie. I loved how they did yeah. that. I thought they did a great job doing that. But uh, that was like right at I mean, Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction would have been the things Tarantino was known for at the time, which are both absolutely yeah. movies that that mess with the timeline. They tell you a story out of order, mm-hmm. which was what defined Tarantino for many years. I don't think his later movies not always as much. Yeah. Um but yeah. back then, right after the success of Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, if you mentioned Tarantino, oh, he's the guy who makes movies out of order. But and I, it was I think one like of those a, things that you got to consider, I, I think when I'm looking at uh, movies like Pulp Fiction, there's a lot of stories going on at the same time. So it really yeah. works out well. And that's really, really great on his part to be able to have all these intertwining stories and they all kind of come together and it really works well. And he's, he's done a yeah. great job. It's I'm not here to dispute the fact that Tarantino's made some fantastic films and Films All we're really saying enjoyed. is that Troy Duffy's made better films than <laughs> pound for pound. Is if we were to compare first... Troy Duffy's best film to Quentin Tarantino's film, worst film? <laughs> I don't know. I didn't want to okay, say worst. I, I didn't want to say best. You know, <laughs> compare Tarantino's it to your least film? favorite Tarantino movie, and they'd be on par. <laughs> no, no my... I, I think what I liked about this, as opposed to say hey, the, the Boondog Fiction... Saints, is better than Death Proof. Fair. Have you seen Death Proof? I haven't, and that fucking probably terrible. Goes, probably goes to say fucking awful. A lot. Yeah, right? don't watch it. I'm not it's going bad. to. But I mean, like, but, so for me, like, when you're thinking about movies like Pulp Fiction, when you have several different stories going on at the same time, and the timeline gets mixed up, it's a really cool way to do a movie and tell a few different stories all at once and make everything come together. But this movie was just like it was one timeline. It was all the same, but they just decided to be like, okay, we're gonna have the prelude to the murders i guess in his yeah. layman's terms and then we're going to show the investigation yeah. and then he's going to walk through it and the one of the best scenes was when they do the uh the, the poker uh the poker game scene right is when smacker's on the ground like kind of like he has to drop to he's his like knees and shot under them, yes. and it's yeah it's like a side by side and he's basically like you know he he's, he's like showing the like he dropped to his knees like this and as he's doing that rocco's next to him it's, it's showing the same room at two different points and, yeah 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 no it, it definitely is and, it, and like it's it's used as a storytelling device at these specific points in the movie mm-hmm. at the well the crime scene at the t- time of the crime and the investigation crime scene yeah. which is different from what tarantino was doing in like pulp fiction as his most famous example where it's it's three different stories and they're all like told non-sequentially but simultaneously or, right? or um or reservoir dogs where it's like these this group of guys that don't know each other that meet to do a crime job and then it shows it shows um it, it kind of shows each of them by chapter yeah like yeah. and and what they were doing who they were and where they were at leading up to the point where they're at the crime job mm-hmm. so it's 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 I, I think you'd be able to tell if it's like someone who didn't have an original idea that was just like, well, Tarantino tells movie tells stories out of order, so I'll do that. Yeah, it's, it's not like it's it's definitely taking the influence to be like, okay, so you don't have to tell a story strictly in order of events to make it interesting. Yeah, but yeah. at the same time, like he's got a kind of a creative way of of implementing that. I think it's like a cut and paste of a very linear timeline, and I think that's what works so well for this movie. They're not deviating yeah. from the timeline. They're just like, well, we're going to put this part that would normally come after before, you know, or, you know, this before and after. And so just switching it around for me was, it was interesting. And especially because I was young, like I wasn't really familiar with a lot of t- Quentin Tarantino movies. Like I think the first time I saw Reservoir Dogs, I was probably about 
19. Um, so yeah, for it was me, like this, it seemed as original as it could have seemed to me. Here's the thing, though. Here, here's the thing I want to get out of the way. I don't know if yeah. you'll relate to this or agree, but there are a lot of really great, like really well done, like crime movies, mafia type movies out there. Yeah. But when I was when I was a young man, late teens, early twenties, I think you could probably show me any like crime movie, any mafia movie, and I would have thought it was awesome. There's just something about being a young part. man at that age that like th- that that just is like the epitome of like fucking cool movies. I think there's something to be said about testosterone and watching movies about basically unlimited freedom, you know, and like so you watch these movies up to well, a point yeah. and then you kind of understand at the end you're like oh God. and everybody's just you end up either dead or in jail like... in in every every scenario. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or like, <laughs> yeah, or like you, you might make it out but you don't have any friends, you know what I mean? And so like it's it's definitely like uh, I think those are the target audiences when you watch movies like that, right? Or like you know, like it's just like fucking like amped up twenty year olds that are just ready to fucking see some violence and be like, fuck yeah, cool. Well, it's like trying to figure out your place, right? And you kind of see a, a especially because that's not something that a lot of people are exposed to every day. So to see a whole new side of the world, you know, is a really interesting thing for young men to be like, oh, I didn't even know that was an option. You know, not that that's necessarily a good influence. Not a good um, option, but, but I mean, like sometimes I, it kind of like, opens your eyes. Seriously, living through these guys that are like able to like kind of live above the law and above society and prosper, and I think there's something to be said about those genres of movies and, and TV shows in general. Like, look at how well The Sopranos did, and that wasn't just targeted towards young men. Like the demographic there was not only was it a fantastic piece of work, yeah. the whole the whole series. But it was it spoke to a lot of different people, you know. Probably men oh, more than women. The Sopranos changed TV forever, right? Like and, the Sopranos made it mainstream to be like, well, TV shows can be like, like a long form of storytelling instead of like episodic. Yeah, HBO has always been really good at that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the Sopranos was so successful that it just made it like acceptable to me mainstream, and that's how we got like the golden age of TV where, you know, Breaking Bad and Mad Men and all these shows came out where, you know, they were, they weren't afraid to like, be like this. The whole point of this show is to tell a long story. Mm -hmm. that's a slow burn over the course of many years. Yeah. I mean, when we go on, now in the age of binging is just the norm. I mean, uh, here, here's a case. So again, when I was doing the, the budget versus box office thing, I wanted to give it some benefit of the doubt, and like I said, I had to do some more research into it. You remember the last movie we did when I was talking about, like, oh, they blamed their poor box office numbers on the, the movies that came out around it? The so Shadow, like, yes. Right? Because was, it was released in, like, the world's greatest year between uh, movies. Between The Lion King and uh, Forrest Gump. Two movies yeah. that are definitely hard to compete with, but I'm, I'm, not gonna, I'm still not giving any breaks on that. If it's a good movie, it's going to do good regardless of when it's released, right? Well, lots of movies that year did great. Yeah. There were lots of great movies out that and year. And there were so many good movies in 1999 too, man. Uh, just to list a few, because I was really looking at it, and I'm so glad I got to bring this one back up too, but we had uh, Fight Club. That's oh, a yes. cult classic. I didn't I look knew at the that box was office numbers, what you brought up. but it was like, that is a fucking, that's a great film, man. I, I've seen that movie, not as many times as Boondock Saints, but I, again, that's a movie that I think I've seen it TV. more. I'll, I'll I think I've seen movie. it more. That was like that was I I would have for a long time I would have told you 
that's my number one. That's my undisputed favorite movie. I don't know if it still is, mm-hmm. uh, but it's still way up there for me. Like yeah. Fight Club's always and I'm, been. I'm a big fan of both uh, Ed Norton and and uh, Brad Pitt in in that that whole scene. Like that movie was fantastic. I really enjoyed it. I don't I don't think it would have ever been one of my number ones. Uh, and you'll find out why. Uh, also, in 1999 came the South Park movie, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut. And so I was like, oh, that's that's really funny. I didn't even know that. But I read a little blurb about it. And I think it was, I forget the movie company that put it out. Maybe it was like Fox or something like that. Or whoever whoever ended up. It must have been Fox. Something doing that. Right? They were on Fox. They, they, they were. Their I show was so. on Fox every Sunday night back then. It was, uh, they said it was a giant middle finger to uh, animation studios like Pixar who were like nailing down like this really amazing animation at the time right so like Toy Story was unprecedented with their animation and Pixar did amazing work and they were nailing out Toy Story 2 in 1999 and then Fox was like ah <laughs> here's South Park Cardboard, here's a question for you though construction does, paper uh, does, does, does Trey Parker lose all of that credibility now that he was in a fucking Minions movie or a Despicable Me movie nope <laughs> okay <laughs> no nope. you're not getting defensive or anything are you no i just i i think that uh i think that the south part i just thought it was funny that like it was like the studio looked, was kind of like pixar you looked, you looked hurt when i said that you i was a little like, cons- you know i was more surprised i didn't even know don't say don't fucking say that about yeah. trey parker i didn't even know that to tell you the truth was he a trey parker was no he was the villain in despicable me three Oh, and Despicable Me 3. I haven't gotten to that one. We, we only watched Despicable Me 1 and 2 in this house right now. I don't know. The third one might be on Disney. Or is it on Amazon? I am perplexed. I am baffled that you as like a lifelong fan of Matt and Trey and the father of a toddler <laughs> do not already know that he that Trey Parker played the villain Despicable Me 3. That's I haven't that's seen impossible. I, I Honestly, man, like I could be a fan but not be like... Uh, an over no, the top kind of person, a hundred percent. You're a you're a poser. I'm a poser. Yeah. No, you're I haven't watched every poser. piece of work. <laughs> I bet that you hurts, never man. even seen Hannibal the Musical. I haven't. You haven't seen Hannibal? Oh, I that's got to be episode thirty. Episode thirty. Can we, can we do that for episode thirty? You really want to set the milestone thirty for that one? It's it's pretty good. The only and thing. It's like, Wait, are and you it's a fan? And hold it's on, impressive that they were still film students when they did it. I'm if pretty sure it was like their throwing, graduating project. If we're throwing low blows around big fans, you're a big fan yourself, right? I'm not as big as you, but yeah. Oh, but, I was, but you've I was seen all these South things Park. and I'm a poser, right? But have you seen Book of Mormon? Shut up. Yeah, that's what I thought. If we're throwing low blows, I'm not afraid to go they there. Haven't, <laughs> they haven't brought it to Disney Plus like they did with Hamilton, all right? Yeah, I don't think it's ever going to go to Disney Plus. I don't think it's Disney material. <laughs> there's some there's some surprising you. stuff on Disney Plus. Yeah, um, not that surprising as far as I've seen. I don't think there's a lot of R-rated stuff on Disney. Plus. I don't know if Disney Plus allows lines on there like "I'm gonna go rape a baby." I don't think I don't think that lines up with the Disney values. Um, it happened. I guess if it they're was... like editing Harrison Ford's cigarette out of his hand, then <laughs> they, they give him a walkie-talkie. Did you, did you see that? <laughs> Is that what they did? No, I didn't. No, see it was it was not in like a movie or anything. It was like in the like one of the special feature clips of um of Star Wars. I just saw a screenshot of it, so I'm like, I've heard this to be true, but I haven't watched it. But like, it's like one of the making of things of Star Wars, and it's like him and Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher on the set of Star Wars, 
and he's like sitting there chatting with them and he's got a cigarette and then it shows like that's what it was on like the dvd or something like that and then it shows like in disney in on disney plus like if you watch it they've they've like photoshopped out the cigarette like he's just got a sparkler it between and his i fingers. don't again i i did no he's just like he's he's like got his arms around the two of them right and like there's a cigarette in his hand right there and they just get rid of it yeah um I, I don't know if it's true, but it's something I've like seen a screenshot of that someone claims they did it on Disney+. Plus. Perfect. That's news to me, but i got to tell you, Pat, these Guinnesses are going down pretty quick, so i got to take a quick body break. So we're going to be back in a couple of minutes, and uh, we'll continue our conversation with the Boondock Saints on our Milestone 20th episode. So give us a minute oh, here. Is that what we're talking about? I forgot. Yeah, hey, well, this is, this is <laughs> the big Guinness. one. This is, this is all... All of the tangents. <laughs> Every tangent. Yeah. So we'll be back in a couple of minutes, ladies and gentlemen. Stick around and uh, we'll get back to you. All right. And we're back. And uh, I, I just want to say this before we, we swig back a nice tall glass of whiskey here. It's become very apparent that movies we've seen several times before always run off on wild tangents. Uh, this yeah, movie it's not is good. no exception. But I'll drink to that. Cheers to the 20th episode. Cheers. We made it. We made 20 <laughs> episodes. Uh, oh, boy. Yeah, that goes down. I'm drinking some uh, Kentucky Straight Bourbon here, some Maker's Mark. Of oh, course, I'm also drinking stuff. Guinness because we, uh, we agreed on that before. Mm-hmm. Had to have the Guinness. What do you got over there? I even got my. Cup. I know you got Guinness, but what kind of what 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 whiskey are you drinking over there? Oh, you don't want to know. This is the budget of the budget, man. This was bought, um, without my consent. Medallion, rye whiskey. I would assume it would be like if Maker's Mark spilt a bunch of stuff on the floor, and then like tried to recover it and bottled it. That's what I got. But like not just any floor, like a bathroom floor. Like it's it's, yeah. Ish. Let's leave it at that. It works. Yeah, rye whiskey in general, honestly, is just dumb over it. I've never liked it. <laughs> I love I love bourbon and I love scotch. All right, Ron Burgundy. All right, scotchy scotch scotch. Oh, that's a good movie. That's a great movie. I did want to bring up a couple other movies that came out in this year, nineteen ninety nine, um, Matrix and Star Wars Episode One. Um, I'm trying to think now, like, because I put some emphasis on the fact that The Shadow used other hit movies as, like, a scapegoat to their lack of success. Mm -hmm. Do you think if this movie was given an equal opportunity to be in theaters, uh, in all the theaters, and, and you know, and more welcomed to the uh, the public, do you think it would have fared well? You know, that's a big if, because then you got to think... Like, not only did this movie not get a presence in theaters, um, but it also didn't get, like, anything for advertising. So, give, I mean, given the success of movies at the time, um, you know, like, R-rated action movies, you got, um, you got The Matrix, obviously, which made a, a shitload of money. Yeah. Um, and redefined action movies for a generation. Mm -hmm. You got... Um, Fight Club's not so much an action movie, but it's like an R-rated, uh, you know, an R-rated character-driven movie, which did well. You got, uh, I think Blade is somewhere around this, too. It might have been 98. Blade would have been close, yeah. 
so close and i think that did well so i think the the market was kind of primed for movies like this so yeah i think it would have fared decently if it was given a good um like a good uh if it was like given a fair campaign shot. as well you think if yeah, it was, if it was a given a fair shot, shot i think it would have yeah. been i don't think it would get would have been massive mm-hmm. like i think it's still probably i think it's the type of movie that does thrive as a cult classic no matter what which means that you know cult classics usually develop a following significantly after they've been released Absolutely. but yeah definitely i i think it would have done fine i think it would have made money i think it would have definitely broken their budget you know what i mean like surpassed that six million dollars easy yeah for six million in 1999 i think i think it's it's good enough and and has enough appeal for the sensibilities at the time uh that you're it's just gonna do fine Maybe it would have surprised everybody and, and been a huge hit, but I don't think so. I, th- I think it would have been. I know, think it would have been you know, on par with other average action films of the time. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Especially when you look at movies like The Matrix, and not to say if they were released around the same time, it would have been different. Well, The Matrix, but to like call the Matrix, Matrix average action film is not fair. The no, Matrix was no. a revolutionary action film. I mean, not only in the way they shot some of those scenes, right, with the whole, like crazy like the matrix dive like and everything inventing, like inventing bullet time yeah i think that was that was fantastic right so i mean it's not fair to compare those two but i think this movie if it was if it had been given a fair shot would have done pretty damn well um what could have been it sucks because like star wars episode one i remember watching that in theaters and like no well you gotta understand back then it would be it's unheard of that there could ever be a bad Star Wars movie. Mm-hmm. It's just, like, impossible. Like, it's impossible that anyone anyone could ever put out a Star Wars movie, and it yeah. would be anything less than a masterpiece. Well, the most recent trilogy, I watched the first one. I think mm-hmm. I watched the other two in theaters, too, but I, I didn't pay attention. I was just there because somebody's like, do you want to go? I was like, yeah, I need to get out of the house. Um, well, fair. You've, already, you've always been a Star Trek guy. Star Trek over Star Wars for some some aspects, uh, yeah. Liam Neeson though in Star Wars Episode One, I appreciate that much more now. Um, like I have watched, I've rewatched the Star Wars trilogies, the trilogy of trilogies, I suppose. And um, yeah, Star Wars Episode One was actually I, I enjoyed it a little more than I thought I would going into it later on in life. It's uh, it is better on a on a second watch. Yeah, like it really these came days, better. It it holds up a lot better. Mm. I don't know what it is, but yeah, episode one, um, it might be the best one of those prequel trilogies. Attack of the Clones is definitely the worst. Yeah, um, yeah, that was just a weird one. It was what? Yeah, it was just like, yeah. Well, maybe maybe <laughs> that's we'll do a whole. Are we ever going to do a Star movie. Wars episode? I don't know if we do. I don't know. I, I think probably not because like everything, it's, everything's been said about Star Wars already. That's you not do, really. You don't make friends chirping Star Wars. <laughs> I'm gonna say that right now. It, it's pretty simple, I, yeah, you know. Like when you not. when you've got that big of a following behind a franchise, like same with Star Trek, man. Like if you if you want to get roasted on the internet, attack Star Wars or Star Trek, and trust or me, Marvel. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel like I wouldn't be that upset about getting roasted by Marvel fans. But I feel like Star Wars and Star Trek fans could absolutely destroy your life. I feel like they just know they just know so much more. I don't know. I I don't know enough about Marvel to really 
know how badly I would be damaged in an online barrage. <laughs> I I feel like it's just like kind of like our podcast is is better when we talk about kind of either forgotten gems or um you know stuff that's not as huge as that. Like I don't think we're the the I don't think we're the Marvel and Star Wars type of podcast. We're the you know. There's too or much the Chinatown podcast. Too much going on in those films where it's like if you don't know everything about it, like a lot of the big fans do, you're just gonna get you're gonna get picked apart. Like it's really hard to dissect a movie when somebody's like, "Oh, you just don't understand because you didn't know this about this character." Well, yeah, but I'm just trying to watch the movie, you know. And so I do like it. Yeah. I think I think this is one of probably one of the, in my opinion, one of the greatest forgotten gems out there for action films. And like we said, this is all surface. Forgotten so much, but it's definitely like a little bit more understated. And I feel like it's a uh, movie that people, when everyone's like, "Oh, what's a really good movie you enjoyed from your childhood?" A lot of people might have enjoyed this and not brought it up. You know what I mean? Like they tried. I think they tried to revitalize it with a with a sequel, but I don't. I don't think it did the same. Um. In terms of like you know bringing things back up and, and, and doing well, like getting people to Who? remember it. Exactly. But I don't know. I, I thought we weren't, I thought, <laughs> thought we weren't going to say that word. What sequel? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is episode um, 20. It's not episode, episode 50. 20. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but that being yeah, said, we got to get these, these are, these are bad tangents. Fuck these tangents. Yeah. Okay, so I, I want to go... This is all getting cut out of the podcast. Fair enough. Fair enough. Agent Paul Schmecker. What a intense but confused character. He's the only one who really has an arc. I mean... You know what I mean? Well, yeah, he's, I mean, he's the top build. Willem Dafoe is the top build actor mm-hmm. in this movie. And, I don't know if that's um, just because he's the most successful out of everyone that's been in here. I think Billy Connolly was really underrated in this film as well. I mean, yeah, Billy Connolly's good. It's it's weird, you know. Billy Connolly, I think at this point was just known as a comedian. He was and for him to do. Uh, yeah, he's he's mainly a stand up guy. He's a stand up first and a movie guy second. Mm-hmm. But uh, man, did he ever kill this role? Like, I think I remember being like surprised when I found out that Billy Connolly was a comedian. Yeah, and I was like, the the Duke, like the fucking like Dude, six the six gun vest guy from fucking Boondocks Saints. <laughs> Okay, speaking of, speaking of six guys or six guns, one guy. How about Detective Greenlee, the idiot savant? I can't believe we didn't bring up Greenlee yet. What a great character! Man, he was fantastic. Greenlee, get me a coffee. And because that whole scene breaks down, and he's I, like, think, I think I want to beg so, you with my coffee. I mean, <laughs> back in the day when you and I were hanging out and like mainly spoke to each other, like in references, mm-hmm. to the point that people would look at us and just be like are these guys all right? <laughs> like it was just like in references. I think most of it was Greenlee quotes. Like if you, if most of our boondocks saying quotes were like, so these two guys are beating the shit out of each other. Right. <laughs> like it was always supposed like, I think we might've used that one at the bar way too many times. I ain't getting them no fucking big. <laughs> like it was always Greenlee stuff. But like, like he's, Pound for pound, Greenlee's the best character in this movie. For the amount of screen time he gets, yeah, like he's he's delivered. He's doing most of the heavy lifting. He uh, he was the uh, played by Bob enough, the Marley. comedic relief. Not that Bob Marley, but the other one. Yeah, 
<laughs> I think he was like the perfect comedic relief in this film. You know what I yeah. mean? He was kind of the guy like just like everyone's like, ah, oh, what an idiot. Greenlee's always doing something stupid. And you see it, he's like, hey, Greenlee, how many bodies? He's like, eight. Oh, shit, nine? Forgot about the guy behind the couch. It's like, holy shit, man. It's like but then he has like greenly. this moment of what he thinks is clarity. And then it just gets shit on by Willem Dafoe's character, Paul Smeichel. He's like, no, well, that, yeah, there's a few scenes. But I think the one that stuck in my mind the most is when he's just like, they come out of the house and there's fucking six guys standing there with guns. It was a yes. fucking ambush. He's like, what if it was one guy with six guns? Like, shut but he's up, right. Greenly. And he is, and that's right. and that's why I was like, like idiot somewhat. Like he's got like these theories, but they're like, Greenlee, you're so stupid. Why would we start believing you now? I think I, I don't think it's an idiot savant thing. I think it's more like a broken clock is right twice a day kind of thing. It's like he says so much dumb shit. Of course, he's gonna be right. He's by bound to be right one time, right? I liked it though when he's just like. Yeah, the, the, the scenes were totally unrelated. And then Willem Dafoe yells at him. He's just like, if I want, the day I have the Boston PD doing my thinking for me, I'll have a fucking I'll tag, a fucking on, my tag toe. on my toe. Right? And just like totally is just like, shut up, you fucking moron. And it's, it was brilliant, man. I love that. I think Willem Dafoe's character, he really did it for me with his over-the-topness, man. Like, it was just so perfect. And he was so such a conflicted character, too, like. All, just all over the place like Ooh. on purpose they made his character like kind of like morally all over the place because that's the point is he's he's in a period of transitioning from like one set of values to the next but also it's uh also he's all over the place because it's uh because homophobe troy duffy is trying to make a relatable gay character and just yeah has but never how... had a conversation with a gay person in his life how about that though with the whole like Religious thing, Catholic thing, right? Like, obviously, you know, you've seen the people holding the signs. Catholics typically don't tend to be a fan of. Uh, of I think it's more like that Paul Smacker. But it was interesting no. to me that like he came off all like that, goes to a church, finds out, oh, okay, maybe they're doing the right thing and stuff, and it was. I don't it kind of just shows how of... lost he is. He's reaching out to something, and it shows that he's not religious, and like mm -hmm. you know, in. Like out in the world, like a lot of a lot of people who who are uh, gay or queer, like kind of like have trepidations about religion because they might have had some pretty bad experiences. So, yeah. Although I don't now that I'm thinking of it, I don't know if Troy Duffy um, would really be that, especially Troy Duffy in 1999. I don't know if he yeah. would be that in tune with. Like, I don't think it was a political of a gay person. No, you know I, mean? I think it was kind I of like... I think it was more for like, a, he's like, oh, we gotta add a quirk to this character, and what else to do besides make like some, like, almost like a self-hating homosexual. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I it was feel, like a really weird like kind of You can always see the wheels turning in Troy Duffy's head where he's like, I got, like, I, this character's gotta have a thing, and like, I'm gonna make him gay, but like, how do I relate to a gay person? He's like, well, I'm uncomfortable with gay people. <laughs> Maybe he could be too. And it's like he's like I wouldn't let one touch me. So I'm gonna have a scene where he's trying to get yeah. cuddled by the guy he just had I'll sex with. Him, and I'll then... give him a young Filipino boyfriend that he's gonna abuse. <laughs> and then, uh, hey, <laughs> I, I don't know. In his mind, that made sense somehow. But it, like, you know what? It's kind of like I think this whole movie is an example of Troy Duffy having a Greenlee moment. This is this is his fucking one guy with six guns. This is him being like. Him he's being probably done a lot of stuff before trying to make it and they're just like nah nothing's gonna work and he writes this they're like this could work he's well, like what I'm saying, what, 
what I'm saying is I think that I think that he like accidentally got uh the character of Paul Smecker right. Um maybe like a subconscious look internally. Maybe I don't know if that so much as it's just like blind luck. But like he tried to play a character who was at a confused point in his life and being a gay man, this is gotta be like the second at least the second significant time he was at a confused point in his life. Yeah. And um, I think that Troy Duffy trying to make a movie starring a gay man was also at a confused point in his life. And it just lined up in, in a way that he didn't expect. I almost wonder if that was how it was originally written. So I told you before we started that uh, there was a list of actors that the studios were considering to play Paul uh, Smecker. And I'm going to tell you right now, the list it doesn't work for me. There, there's there's one actor, and it's only because of light of recent, more recent events that could have worked. But here's here's the list, and I'll save the best for last. Sylvester Stallone. No, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. No, okay. Yep. Shut shut the fuck up. Shut yep. the fuck up. He Leave was podcast right he now. was considered because he had no previous way. relations with the studio. I don't know if it was a studio that dropped the work before. No way. Uh, there's just, there, dude. There's just no way. I know. Was Sylvester Stallone gonna show up at the at fucking drag? Papa Joe's mansion in that way? In drag and start making out with a guy? I, I don't think like, he would have done it. I'm here for fucking entertainment. Yo, Adrian. Adrian. <laughs> Yo, Adrian. Let's go to fucking battle for a second. You're always sending over the best quality box. I don't know. I'm a boxer, right? <laughs> no. 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 Doesn't Hell work. No. Doesn't work. Um. You know what? Based on your reaction, I'm going to change up this list a little bit and how I'm going to present you it. You should have saved Stallone for last, by the way, because there cannot be anyone worse. Oh, no, there's it. there's more. There's more. There can't be anyone worse. You that. know what? For you, I'm not sure if I'm lining these up well enough to like come off the way I kind of wanted it to. <laughs> how about this? Robert De Niro. Uh, not good, but not better good. than Stallone. Okay, okay. How about these next two? Bill Murray and Mike Myers. No, it's not fucking happening. Are you kidding me? <laughs> fucking Mike Myers would have, like, first As of if all, the movie that, didn't he... struggle enough with, like, the lack of advertising or the political problems that were going on in the country. Mike Myers would have, like, had six scenes where he was in a wig. It would have uh, been a different 100%. wig every time, and he would have had a different yeah. accent. He just shows up to every crime scene as a different character. Like, <laughs> I'm just drawing from my SNL roots. It's like, no, man, that's, damn it, Bill Murray, damn it, Mike Myers, and, and even Bill Murray. I could not imagine Bill Murray doing this. Um, I think he's a more can, reasonable choice out of the four that I can see him doing it. Bill Murray, I would say, I can see him doing it, but he he's not going to hold a candle to what Defoe did with this character. Okay, now here are the last two. I'm going to read them off individually of who I think might have pulled it off okay, but still nowhere near as well as Willem Dafoe. All uh, right. Second to the best, Patrick Swayze. Oh, yes, dude. Are you kidding me? I think he, I think he could have done it. Fuck yes, he could have done it. Yeah. It yeah. would have been a way. Oh, yeah. Now I'm kind of sad that it wasn't Patrick Swayze. It, it could have worked. Yeah, that would have been amazing. Shit, now I feel like I left out. I feel like I got mine mixed up. <laughs> oh, man. And Yeah, you should have saved Stallone for last, for sure. <laughs> that was a fuck up. 
don't worry. We can discuss this list in in in, in its entirety after. Oh, we're gonna we're and, gonna rank it. And the person that I think could have pulled this off the best, and it wouldn't have necessarily been acting the whole time, Kevin Spacey. Oh man. Yeah. Sorry. That. I mean. <laughs> I saved him only because of recent events that we have learned about Kevin Spacey. Ironically enough, in 1999, uh, American Beauty came out. Um, Man. And we know he's not into that. Well, the age thing, yes, but the the female part, no. Um, And this would have been like the other side of that coin. mm Mm-hmm. He would have had his, yeah. How about that list? That's... Now I'm thinking. I'm just thinking about Spacey and like, what a horrible person who would have done a good job with this character. Man, like it would have been pretty good. I I I think he could have pulled hate it off. him as no a problem. human being, but I am. I'm not gonna not watch. Oh, he's Usual a scumbag suspects. who can burn in hell, but like, I'm not I gonna not watch. watch Usual would have been great. Yeah, fuck it sucks, man. Because like he is such a piece of shit, but it's a good actor. Yeah, man. I, I mean, guess, right? A shitty person, good actor. Is that, is that like how it kind of goes nowadays? I mean, I like so, you're, sometimes. You're hearing a lot of these. Things. I don't think it's requisite. <laughs> I hope it's not a requisite. Seems like it sometimes. All the new shit coming out. Uh, okay, but, so, uh, but that list right there. So how about Sylvester Stallone? Because obviously you had a huge problem with that name being on that list. I just... I, I just... Do you see it? it? Were, I don't see it at all. I don't, I I don't see it working. I can't even envision it. I'm trying to think of like all this. I'm trying to go through it and think of. No, there's no way. There's How was he even considered? Because he, couldn't have been he considered. had previous connections with one of the companies. I don't care. I don't know if they owed him. Like if he owed them care. something. You know what I mean? Like they buried a dead hooker or something like that. Like Stallone, you might have to do this movie. He's like, I don't want to do this movie. I want to do Rocky IV. I don't know, man. This uh, would have been way after Rocky IV. <laughs> who cares, man? Doesn't matter. At this point, I'm just trying to imagine Sylvester Stallone being I like, can't. there was a firefight! And like shooting his gun in the air. It's not happening, man. It's just hey, not really, happening. get me a fucking cream cheese bagel. No. Look at this fucking no. Mick. Get me a bagel. What? <laughs> no, so Stallone's out. Like, he was... He was for me, it was like the most ridiculous name, but at like, the same time, it's like fucking like Sylvester Stallone, like schooling you on Greek mythology <laughs> to try to bring up. To try I'm to, an expert like, in the nameology. Get the fuck out of here, Stallone. See, in ancient Greece, you had to pay the fairy See, Shut the fuck up, man. Like you're not this character. You could have cast no Vin way. Diesel before fucking Stallone, and I'd have been like, that works. You know? At least it's Absolutely not Stallone, right? Jesus Christ. Why did they do this guy? Because they had family. Yeah, you fucking <laughs> still doing Fast and the Furious, man? Jesus Christ. Uh, this was this was before the first Fast and the Furious movie. I think Robert De Niro was kind of a, a quick grab on the idea that this had monsters I, involved. So yeah, like if you're going to have a mob movie, movie it's going to have De Niro or, you know, Joe But to have him as a cop is, or, or an FBI agent is a little different. I, I, he would have been fine, I think. It just wouldn't have... No. I, don't, I can't see he it plays too out serious. He point. plays too serious of characters. Like, if you look at him, he plays the CIA agent in the movie Ronin, and he fucking kills it. 
but that's because he's basically playing an undercover hitman, mafia kind of guy, right? That's a good movie. If you haven't seen Ronan, check it out. Um, but yeah, like Bill Murray and Mike Myers? Like, I get it. You had, you, Murray, had Billy Connolly. you had Billy Connolly as a stand-up comedian absolutely crush this role. He did, man. I like, he was, like, scary. And, like, ta- scary. and like you believed it. Like, you couldn't see... You can't see that guy, like... The way he embodies this character, you cannot see him, like, being on stage, like, making people laugh. No. So, no way. Billy Connolly wasn't... Like, he, he never, like... He didn't jump into comedy or to acting with both feet until he was older. So, apparently, he dropped out of high school, went and worked at a shipyard, and became a welder. And then it was, like, when he was, like, 30... He ended up being like, yeah, I don't want to do this anymore. And he went, I think he went into comedy. Maybe he went in, I think he went into TV shows and he was really well known in the UK for some acting, but he's, he's basically very well known as a, a full-time stand-up comedian. Uh, yeah. So for him, like, I, yeah, I'm wondering like... if like, because they're like, oh, well, if this stand-up comedian or comedian in general can do this role maybe we can get bill murray or mike myers to do this well they didn't even know he could you know what i mean like they were still oh man i i don't know i'd I'd like to see like bill murray i can't see because i don't think he's a characters guy he was sort of in like caddyshack but for the most part he just kind of plays the same like you know the same kind of like uh comedy guy like the cool comedy guy doesn't he make that um, joke in that zombie movie he's in he's like yeah. i was never good at method acting or whatever when he gets shot and he's just dying i was there. never good. I, I think he's like um, i was never good at practical jokes <laughs> but no yeah like like he's good and stuff like that like he was the best part of fucking zombie land mm-hmm. absolutely but right. Yeah, I, I don't see him carrying this, like carrying a role like this where he's a character. He's never been a character guy. I mean, which is weird to say because he was on SNL, but like he's his his he was always good at like being the one type of character, and he'd do it well. I think for me, uh, it's really hard to picture any of these actors as Paul Smacker. No, like, it doesn't work for me. Like, this, after I think seeing, this is where seeing I, what Defoe did, like yeah. he and he was great. Yeah, and you're you're kind of right. Like you were making the point, like he's the only character with an arc. He's not so much the only character, but like he's the only one the that McManus, has a big epiphany. the McManus brothers have an arc, that and Rocco dumb, has an arc. That was a dumb um, arc. It's it's not done as well. Like it's done. It's how all kind stupid of it was though. Quick. Can we agree how Their stupid it was, like, man? More like flipping a switch. You know what I mean? It's like they go from this to that, and then the movie carries on with them doing being that. Yeah, and like, you remember that, that scene. For some reason, every prison cell in Boston has a leak in it, and it happens to drip right over the bed. Right on their foreheads. And they're, like, waking up, like, oh, Chinese water torture, and they're like, wait a second, let's recite some Bible quotes, and now we're going to kill them. Well, it's like baptizing them, right? Like, the water falling on their heads. I don't understand the fun. (laughs) I've been to church once and we left. Yeah, it seems (laughs) like, well, lucky you. (laughs) You mean you weren't held hostage? No, my parents were like, oh, "We're getting our Hellraisers out of here, man. We're not, we're not bringing these kids back." To I was church. gonna, I was gonna say for your two day, one of your two days off, but that's like a John Mulaney joke. So yeah, let's yeah. <laughs> if you want to know my jokes about being Catholic, just see John Mulaney's stand up. It's mostly the same. It's pretty much the same. Fair enough. 
I do want to mention I didn't write down the list, but except of, he did it a little bit better than I would have, than I would have done. You know what? Just put it out there, man. Put, little, me doing some jokes from on YouTube. Who cares? Somebody me doing like John Mulaney's jokes. No, just they're your I jokes. Should. John Mulaney stole them. We're gonna. That's oh, what it man. is. <laughs> I'm putting a lot yeah. on it right now. I've definitely uh, got better lawyers than him. Let's do this. You don't need lawyers if you're right. Okay, God can judge you. That's it. I learned that from this movie. Only God and the saints can judge you. Uh, I do want to mention, Brendan Fraser was considered for a role as one of the brothers. I didn't write down the list of who was considered for the brothers, but like... He'd be better than Norman Reedus. I mean, when did The Mummy come out? Like, he's done some good action movies with some comedic relief and stuff like that, and it was... uh, He did well. I really enjoyed those films, The Mummies. Except for the third one. I didn't really watch the third one. I've seen the first one. I don't know if I've seen any of the sequels, really. Second one was pretty good. It was not nearly as good as the first, but it was, uh... He's done well in that aspect, for sure. But I still can't get over, like... Here are these names, and, like, I wonder if Willem Dafoe... I didn't look this up, but I wonder if Willem Dafoe had a lot of big hits. I can't even say big hits. I wonder if he was in a lot of stuff before this. Because this is where I was really introduced to Willem Dafoe as an actor. Mm-hmm. This movie for me and and one of for the things me it was Spider Man, yeah. Because um, I discovered even though this movie came out before Spider Man, I discovered this movie a few years later. Like I said, so mm-hmm. um, I was like nineteen or something. So we're talking like two thousand five or six. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So I'd already seen Spider Man in theaters. So yeah, Willem Dafoe to me was the Green Goblin first. And Paul Smecker second. Yeah. See, for me, it was the opposite. So it was kind of interesting seeing him there. And I was like, okay, like he plays he's, a really man, good he's character good. for that, right? Like, oh, man, he's, he's amazing. Now, I don't know if I would feel the same way if uh, if I hadn't seen this movie first. I, I, and I want to say right now, if the casting in this movie was any different, I, it's one of those things because I've seen it so many times. I wonder if I would have enjoyed it as much, if it would have been the same kind of film for me. Right. Well, I think I think Willem Dafoe and Billy Connolly in particular are perfectly cast. Absolutely. Um, David Della Rocco was like not even an actor. He was just like the director's buddy. I was going to say, wasn't he just Troy Duffy's friend? Like he was. Yeah, (laughs) Troy Duffy was basically he basically wrote his buddy into this movie. He was like, "Hey, man, I I wrote you into the like it's fucking it's you." And he was like, "You want to be in a movie?" He's like, "Yeah, fuck it, I don't know." Like somebody had, was I don't like, think he's he had, just yelling all the time. I'm I like, don't think he had gone that. to like an a, an acting workshop before this. You know what I mean? Like he he was not he was just the director's buddy for a like first his drinking buddy. Yeah, but for a first time movie, he did great. I thought, man, like he well, was yeah, he, he was playing himself. But he was like, well, yeah. think of think about it. You know what I mean? Like his name his is best, David Della Rocco, best, and they called his, him Rocco. Yeah, like, his they, best friend. Wrote wrote him into a movie, like wrote him as a character into the movie, and and like was envisioning him. But of course, he's good. You could know you, what I mean? Like, could you imagine could make, right now? I like, could make you look good in a movie. He's I just like I literally act. wrote this role for you because it is you. And he's like, I don't know if I can act that well. He's like, don't have to act, dude. Just it's fucking. fucking it's like Jay and Silent you. Bob all over again. You know right? what I mean? Exactly. Like, yeah. That's what Jason. That's what Jason Mewes got Jason good Mewes. on that. Like it was like Jason, just be yourself. That's all you have to do. You can literally. Act it's like, like I literally wrote it, and it's it's literally you. And mm-hmm. and he was like, oh okay. 
And then... Um, How do you think that yeah, conversation anyway. went down, though, when he was just like, hey, man, in one of the scenes, you got to kill your girlfriend's cat. Do you think he was like, oh, I've done that before? You know? <laughs> he was like, ah, oh, that's a fucking old hat. Just like, another Thursday for David Delarocco. Do you imagine hey. that scene? Like, you wonder where he gets the inspiration for this shit. Like, when they're just hanging out, getting shit-faced after they, like, find out, like, they just murdered all those Russian mob guys, and they're just, like, hanging out, getting shit-faced, smoking okay. eating pizza, and he's like, so it's that fucking scene, on. That scene was, like, basically a bunch of guys doing coke, except there was no coke there. I think it was just a heavy drinking scene. I don't think you needed coke. But I mean, it would have wouldn't have hurt. It would have made it probably just on par, actually. I, you know, it's like hard it would, to it would have been out of character place. for for the McManus brothers to be doing hard drugs. Would it though? Yeah, it would. Because <laughs> they murder drug dealers. Like no cokehead's gonna murder a fucking drug dealer, unless they want their drugs. No cokehead's gonna go after the fucking mafia. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, man, if we kill Dave, how am I supposed to get my cocaine? <laughs> exactly. It's like. Oh, fucking Dave's dead. Where did Gate Dave get it from? Oh, shit, we gotta kill this guy, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I Jesus. don't know, man. Do you want to know, like, one of the cool little details about this movie that made me laugh the most? I do. You remember when Rocco's girlfriend came back? It was after they killed the cat, which, like, I think we des- should describe <laughs> to, to anybody who hasn't seen the movie. There's do you really want to describe a cat murder? <laughs> Yeah, in detail. I can't believe okay. we glossed over it this far, actually, because it's like we're the, getting there. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think I think if you ask me for the one scene that defines the Boondock Saints, I'd probably give you the cat killing scene. But I they're hanging out at Rocco's girlfriend's place, and they're all like drinking and chain smoking and like talking about becoming vigilantes and stuff. Cat sitting on the on the dining room table. But all their guns are out, and Rocco's just like, oh, let's fucking do it. He's like, I'm sick of these guys. And the fucking gun goes off, shoots the cat. The cat turns into just a cloud of red mist and splashes against the wall, and it's gone. And a great line where they're just like, what the fuck just happened? And Rocco just goes, is it dead? (laughs) And it's like, yeah, it's a fucking cloud of blood. Of course it's dead. It's just gone. I can't believe that just (laughs) fucking happened. Is is it dead? (laughs) That was a great yeah. scene. But when, but then, like the next day, when the girlfriend comes back from her fucking bender, she and her, she and her buddy, she and her friend are like sitting on the couch and everything. It like shows like the the wall where the cat was killed. Like the blood's still all over the wall, and they just put up like a poster, or, like a calendar or something with Scott with like masking tape, like over the blood. But you can still see it, like. It's they like did, fucking like, the, university all over again. Like, oh, you punched a hole in the wall. Amount of effort up with a poster to, to cover this thing up. They they didn't they didn't cover it up at all. Like, they, where do you they okay, put question. a sheet of paper over question. top of it? Where do you bury a cat in Boston? He's like, I'll be back by five. Bury the fucking cat. I'm just like, what do you like? Find like a planter, like a a planter box in the city, and you're just like, we'll just dig a hole here. Or like, well, Boston's not like New York so much. I don't know. You can probably find a park or something like that. <laughs> so Never been to Boston, so I don't take know. Take fucking dead cats to parks, and they're like, "Yeah, oh, this looks like a good spot. Let's just bury the cat here." You never bury the cat in a park. Not in a public park, no. Bury really? the cat in a backyard. Where do you bury cats so the owners don't find them? I... <laughs> <laughs> 
It's like a question that brings up so much, so many other questions. I, yeah, you know what I mean. You know how they say, like, the more you learn, the less you know. How many <laughs> fucking cats? Have you no, but I mean, it was like that. That was, I don't know. That was kind of weird for me. I just assumed these kind of guys. They don't really give a shit. I just assumed toss it. In a I think that's like more nitpicky than you have to get. Honestly, it's like mm-hmm. I don't like. I don't give a shit where this cat's buried. Let's just move on. With it the was movie. just kind of like a reminder, like, hey, we just accidentally murdered a cat. Let's just bring that up one more time so people remember. Yeah. Um, this movie actually didn't shoot a lot in Boston. The shooting actually started mostly in Toronto. Uh, oh, big fucking surprise! Right, cheaper to you shoot. You said you said six million dollar budget, so right. No duh. Probably twenty bucks to shoot for a day in Toronto. Yeah. But there were some scenes in Boston, obviously. Um, you know who we haven't brought up as an actor in this movie who I didn't even realize he he's so much more uh so much more than just an Italian mob boss. And I gotta you gotta uh, we gotta put it in Papa Joe Yacavetta. Right? Yacavetta. Dude, he was like a culinary guy on the on the cooking channel. On was the Food he? Network. Yeah. He used to do the Great Canadian Cooking Show. I think that was the name of it. Really? Like, yeah. I remember it. I remember so he's like, a, he's like a TV cook first and an actor second? I think he was in... I think he start, they said he started acting around 30. And he's Canadian? I, he, he never really says. That was one of those things that was just like, oh, when you ask him he where was... he's from, he never readily answers. I think he grew up in the UK, moved to Canada... Um, well, he's got a good accent. Like he's playing, like he's playing a character who's like got an Italian accent. Well, he's Italian. I think his his accent is true. It's not like a cartoon, like Super Mario type of accent. No, and he's and he's speaking real Italian. Mm -hmm. So I think he speaks a lot of Italian. I think he's an Italian who lived in the who was born in the UK. Probably learned Italian from his parents or his grandparents. Yeah, this movie, like say what you will about this movie, but it is partly educational because it taught me that really great. uh, classic italian phrase you insignificant little fuck i will get my fucking money you cock-sucking bastardo yeah that's that's throwing you're not supposed to tell a guy you want to kill him no more i don't know it's a good it's a good accent it's not like no he he does a really good job so i remember seeing him about that scene that scene with the joke i am having a cheaty day tell me a funny joke you could tell like I don't know, man, because because there's obviously a lot of language that we, we don't want to use from that scene. No, we're not um, going to say the joke. No, but, like, it was, like, funny because, like, you could almost tell, like, in that scene, like, Rocco probably felt naturally uncomfortable using the word that they wanted him Maybe, to use. Yeah. But he used another word so freely. Like, using a derogatory term towards Mexican people is fine, but then as soon as it came to the other word, he was just kind of like, uh, that's what I said. Yeah, do you know what I mean? It was just kind and of with Ron scene Jeremy like, like looking oh. up, staring at him. Yeah, that's Ron um... Jeremy. Yeah, but no, this Papa Yakavetta guy, man. Like I remember seeing him in a show, and he was in like some place, and they were cooking food or whatever. And then the guy's like, "Let's have a pint," and they were having a pint, and he put salt in his beer. And the guy that he was interviewing for this show was just like, "Ah, oh, real beer drinker." I was like, "Oh, do people put salt in their beer?" Apparently, salt. I remember the bitterness. We used to put, when, when all we could afford was uh, Colt 45s, we used to put salt in Colt 45s because it made it like sig- like a minor little bit, like a little bit less disgusting. Well, so what salt does well, is it typically bit. cuts the bitterness, right? 
and yeah. it adds more flavor. So that's the same reason you put salt in cake. Like people don't know that, but when you're baking sure. like cookies and and cakes, like you put salt in there to cut certain flavors, and it brings out other flavors. But I just remember seeing that after seeing this movie, and I was like, "What the fuck, Papa Joe? What are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing on a cooking show?" And it was just one of those things where it was like, "Holy shit, man! Like this guy is diverse." And I think he ended up doing like some uh, Canadian cooking show about like cooking through the ages. And when I say ages, I mean like, "Oh, this family's gonna live in the '50s, and this they're gonna do everything that people used to do in the '50s and '60s, '70s." So they take families through decades for a week. And it was just like, these were the classic drinks that people used to have in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. And the meals they used to have and what was available to them. And No, so this guy has done quite a bit. I don't know how much more acting he's done besides this movie. Uh, but I know he's a, a, a cooking channel host. Do you know what I mean? Like, he, he probably gets his bread and butter from the cooking shows. That is a, a big surprise, honestly. Mm. I just know him as Papa Joe. It was interesting to me when I saw him putting salt in his beer, and I'm just like, I know that guy. Where's he from? And then he starts talking more, and I'm like, holy shit, that guy's in the Boondock Saints. And he's on the cooking channel, or the Food Network. And so that, to me, was like, just the amount of surprising kind of realizing that these actors are not really necessarily built for these roles, but they fit them so perfectly was really interesting to me, right? Like, yeah, the whole I think fits it because he's just like, he can be, he, he's so talented. I think he can do anything, really. Um, but then you look at Billy Connolly playing this literally a, a murderous psychopath. Yeah, this, this, uh, as a standard comedian. Like, this, like, unhinged assassin who's so legendarily good at what he does, but also, like, impossible to control. So. Like right. is is not appropriate to to hire or use unless you have no other options. You almost wonder, and I'm like, thinking about it now. It's like, did he get his role because of his accent? Do you know what I mean? He's like, oh, he's a famous dude with a Irish-ish accent. Let's cast him. Do you know what I mean? Because I'm trying to think, like, what other comedians could you picture doing a role like that? Does, does oh, anyone well, come to the top be- of your head? Like, there's there's not a lot for me that come across like i know dave Chappelle was in con air but he basically played comedic relief right and like there's a lot of comedians that play roles in movies but they're always in action films or dark films but they never play the dark role they never That's play a good the question role of something like that right so you always yeah i know it makes me kind of wonder like i'm trying to think like comedians in in comedians in acting roles that aren't comedic i think is an important aspect to factor in like Mm -hmm. who who modern who in a more modern comedian sense comedians we know today that are famous could pull something like that off like a billy Connolly. i'm sure there are some um i don't doubt there are some okay so back in the day like if if you're talking like here's one from back in the day that's like tried and true robin williams he was great in any he's done some really dramatic stuff yeah, and he yeah. was great. What was that movie where him and Al Pacino worked together? I want to say it was called uh, like The Mist or something like that. Was it Insomnia? Insomnia, shot in a lot. Well, was it was shot in Banff. It was shot in Alberta, but it was all about like an Alaskan guy who was kind of a recluse, and he started making friends with like people from high school, and he ended up murdering some girl. 
that was a really dark role. Him and Al Pacino did a really good job in that. Jim Gaffigan. Jim Gaffigan. Jim Gaffigan was totally... in. But was I, it, I think he, he was in to play a, a specific kind of dark role. He had to play the psychopath kind of role. Yes. And uh, but I mean, like, I don't think he would fit the same kind of mark for say like a film like this. So when I'm saying like a comedian playing a, a dark role, I mean more like in this aspect, like a Billy Connolly style. Like not necessarily psychopathic, but with values and morals that just are dark. Like Jim Gaffigan has played a role. Like maybe this is one we should do for the podcast because I've like seen the trailer and I don't even remember what it's called. But he played a role where he like kidla- kidnapped some some like drug dealer's kid or something because he was like he was a regular guy pushed to the edge and then he had to kidnap some drug dealer's kid to make money to make ends meet and stuff hmm. he's like an uber driver or something I'll, f- I'll find out what it's called i'll let you know but like i even just saw the trailer and i was like oh man that's like jim gaffigan in like a like a dark dramatic role that like you wouldn't it looks like him to be in typically right no it's like right out of left field for like the hot pockets guy to be like playing a role that this, that's like this like like this this dark i don't know i'm sure there okay. are many others i'm gonna give you I a minute like... to sit on it because again i've had way too many beers oh jesus yeah all right <laughs> well listen that's kind of like a good news bad news thing for me because the good news is um we can just keep fucking drinking and riffing the bad news is that i gotta edit this episode into like a main <laughs> episode and a bonus episode and that's gonna be my weekend I'll work with you. We'll get it sorted out. But in the meantime, I'm going to go relieve myself. Maybe 30 seconds. I'll be right back. All right. Here we go. So Dilbert, continuing his pursuit, is uh, is approaching uh, a, a hot blonde who he works with. And he says, would you like to have a drink after work? Um, she says, I don't drink. And so Dilbert replies, how about lunch? And then we get to the final panel where uh, the woman says, I also don't eat. Do you see the pattern yet? Again, because Dilbert's a cuck. And he says, you're an android, which apparently is supposed to be uh, a punchline, I guess. Pat, I just put that last one up there. For hey, sure. shut you're up. Gonna, you're going to have to edit that one hey, out. shut the hell up. I'm not done yet. Anyway... <laughs> Like, Dilbert is obviously making reference to our sixth episode where we talked about Blade Runner that deals with androids and uh, replicants trying to make make their living in a human world that doesn't want them. It's true. It's true. All it's right. a direct, direct it, reference. By the way, we're back. Everyone got to hear that last little bit of Dilbert calendar. No, we're not back. About. It's my break time. You read your Dilbert calendar now. <laughs> I'm going to be right back. Everyone's got a Dilbert calendar, right? <laughs> so there he goes yeah so he, now he's muted yeah so that was pat reading his dilbert calendar that was fantastic uh you can tell that pat really enjoys his dilbert calendar he's a few days behind which means obviously he doesn't enjoy it that much but i mean we can always appreciate the fact that he's trying to catch up he's trying to stay on top of things i mean we just came out of a pandemic it's really been hard for a lot of people to kind of stay on track in terms of what day it is and what's going on so even with a daily calendar, you can still lose your place. You can still find it hard to figure out what day it is, what's going on. Um, 
But not here, because every Friday, here we are, having a couple whiskeys, especially tonight, Steve Guinness. And it's been fantastic. Now, my take on Dilbert is that I don't care. Don't care much for Dilbert at all. You know, If you like Dilbert, that's fantastic. He's just not for me. And that's kind of how I'm going to read, read into this situation. Uh, before Pat gets back, I do want to tell you that uh, this movie is also one of the greatest movies of all times, in our opinion. I know Pat hasn't expressed it hard enough tonight, but god damn it, the Boondock Saints, man. Even with a box office of $30,000, coming back with a $50 million home sale VHS DVD sort out, that's brilliant, man. That takes balls. And to, to justify Blockbuster, Blockbuster couldn't even save themselves. But they saved this movie. So I'm going to give a shout out to Blockbuster. I miss them. Apparently one of the last Blockbusters around was in BC, a small town. I forget the name of it right now. But unfortunately they were devastated by a wildfire more recently. And uh, honestly, I believe so much in this last Blockbuster that I feel like they were impervious to the flames. And that's just my personal belief. We're going to find out. I'm sure in the news it's already come out what's happened with it. But uh, it, it's tough, man. With a sole blockbuster remaining, to have a natural disaster occur around it is, is frightening as a, as a big movie buff. So here we are, sitting, contemplating whether or not this last blockbuster exists or not. It's tough. It's tough, man. I couldn't imagine a world where at least one blockbuster doesn't exist because that was my Friday night every damn Friday night for a long time. And he's back, unfortunately. Hey. hey. <laughs> I was just going through the whole last blockbuster existing and about how this movie was saved by blockbuster, but blockbuster can barely save themselves. Yeah. Uh, Ironic. It is. Sort it of is. like the tragedy of Dark Plagueis the Wise, if you think about it. Are there any particular scenes you want to go over in this film? Was there anything that, like, really yeah, upset probably. you? Yeah, probably. Was there anything that like, really upset you or, like, was it your favorite scene? Because I can tell you right now, one of my favorite scenes and most quotable lines from this movie was Willem Dafoe, when he's screaming at the top of his lungs, pulls out his service pistol and starts shooting into the air. There was a firefight! And he just started shooting it. Here's the thing. Did he? Because that shows him with the, against the backdrop of, of what for him is the past, several hours into the past. So it's kind of like, is it canonical that he was firing a service pistol in the air? Or um, did it actually happen? Like, do you think he was around there? All the forensics teams was doing that just shit? part of him like, being, nah. like going further into his psyche? At each at each crime scene, I can't believe we're, we're still going, man. What a <laughs> fucking messy ass, sloppy episode. This is like our first ten episodes all over again, where we just forget we were recording a podcast episode and ugh. This is the all beauty right. of it. This is this is the raw. The everything. No, is no, no. Raw. No, no, this is, this is, this is what we, these are the mistakes we were supposed to have learned from until we watched a movie that we fucking are geeking out about because we've seen it a million times and decided to get sloppy drunk and just make a terrible episode again. I think All it's, right. it's anyway, totally on par. 
let's let's go over each episode. Let's go over each uh, instance of of like a crime scene, right? Okay. Because um, I th- I think there's a theme where like it it shows uh, it shows Smecker just getting like less and less in touch with reality. At the first one, you you got the Russian mob. Yeah. The Russian mobsters who were dead in the alley after fucking Connor threw a toilet at them. Um, so there he doesn't really, he doesn't really go in. He he, like plays his music on his discman, his classical music, mm-hmm. and he checks out the crimes. He figures out what happens. Like it shows him kind of like explaining what he thinks happens, and then flashes right back to um, the McManus brothers, like killing these these mobsters by the way i think that was a great character introduction you know what i mean you got the whole build up to him walking up there he throws his coat on he kind of comes off as that effeminate kind of character and you kind of figure out what he's about and how he's gonna be the whole time i guess we've already we've already talked about how like duffy's obviously kind of uncomfortable i think no all all of the detectives are super uncomfortable about it in every crime. No, I'm, I'm just saying, like the Troy end. Duffy, the director, is like obviously oh, uncomfortable about yeah. having like a having a gay character at the forefront and doesn't know how to make him like a person first. But he's like, how do I turn this person into a person? <laughs> yeah, how do I make him seem like a person? Yeah, it's it's not it's obviously not a good place he's coming from. But um, yeah, it's it's like he he like puts his hand on the shoulder like he's talking to these these beat cops these user these uniformed well, officers these, right yeah as the yeah. detectives are standing by and he's saying like hey listen you when he t- taps the shoulder he's like go get me a sa- go go survey the perimeter and like ask the neighbors this and like the two guys nudge each other like choose fucking see that he just, I'm just fuck, imagine that right now guy's like, shoulder could you imagine he's like oh there's nothing more gay than a dude touching another dude <laughs> let's, yeah. let's throw that scene in there. More or less, like, but that's I guess that's typical Boston and there's a, South Boston. I get, I mean, I think it's Troy Duffy and his friends, but <laughs> any anyway, um, yeah, it, it, but uh, I was I was bringing this up just to just to talk about like Smecker's kind of decline into madness that that this movie seems to show so that that's the first scene right the mobsters yeah um and, and that's what it would spiral and that's really that's not even that's kind of like before his downward spiral the the next scene what's the next one is um is it the porno theater no nope. theater but no like the next one movies? is the uh the russian mob bosses all the the big russian mob right right in the hotel with after the they rope. come down through the roof and with the stupid fucking rope Charlie Bronson, apparently, I looked it up. He's like a, he's actually like known as like a superstar who plays like a Charlie Bronson always had fucking rope. Yeah, right? Charles Bronson. I know him from um Oh, what's that that dumbass movie he was in where his daughter gets raped? Um They just they just redid the movie with uh Bruce Willis. What's it called? Oh, it like oh I know the Bruce Willis movie too. I want to say it's like Vigilante. But I know it's not. But I watched that movie, you know, like a year ago. Look at me. I got a drinking problem. Yeah, yeah you're spilling all your <laughs> That's booze. That's where I developed my drinking problems. Yeah. Splash. Ironically Splash wearing an Irish t-shirt, on. spilling beer on yourself. Well, spilling bourbon on myself. Yeah. Even yeah. worse. I know I'm wearing my Irish t-shirt because we're doing the Boondock Saints. But then I spilled booze all over it, which is 
oddly appropriate. Okay, so... Fuck, I'm trying to remember this Charles Bronson movie. It's not going to come to me. I don't know. No, it won't. I can't even remember the Bruce Willis remake. Any, anyway, yeah, they come to, they come down with their rope. They shoot up all the gangsters. Now, in the, in that scene, right, there's a little bit more of um, a back and forth with him and the cops, right? Yeah, kind of establishing how they feel about him and how he feels about them. And he kind of... Um, I don't know. There's not a lot of like him being unhinged or anything, but he's like almost makes me feel like river dancing. Tip it, tip to really tea, and he goes into the river dance like as a joke, um, which could be just him like getting more comfortable working with these guys. I, I don't well, know. Well, that's but, that's like, more or less the scene where he kind of like he's got it all figured out in this scene, right? This yeah. is explaining it's, it to the other. He's shown to be the most confident detective there. Well, he's showing these detectives too. He's like, unless I missed something. This could be the start of the first international mob war. Because he's going on about how he's like, oh, you know, the Soviet Union, the Russian or the Italians don't want to go there because they don't think it's fertile enough or like ripe enough for organized crime. But they don't want the Russians coming here, but they're coming here anyways. And so he's like immediately putting this thing up as a, an international gang war, basically. And so he's like, you know, because he's a know-it-all, he's got it all figured out. And then, as we see, as it goes on, like, all these different crime scenes he go to, goes to, like you said, like, he's kind of, like, becoming unhinged. Things aren't panning out the way he thought they were. So he almost starts to lose his sense of reality on it's the situation. The, it's the next... Yes, he does. And it's the next crime scene where it really... You can see that it starts to get to him, which is the, the jack-off booths, or mm -hmm. whatever they're called. Like, the porno booths. Yeah, where they kill Ron Jeremy's character and and those two other guys. Yeah, the two strangers, really. Right, where he's the two the two fucking guys just, minding just their own business, really, right? Their yeah. own tricks. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but it, uh, anyway, he um. He, I, th I think he says that this uh, the, like these guys are low life scum. So it's like I don't know, maybe the guy's got records or whatnot, but. That's what and he says, like, basically, how, right? He's like, this guy's big time. These guys are too low-life scum. And then they start how, going if, through that scene, and they're like, oh, man, I'm so wiped from that crime scene earlier today where they, uh... What it was the, where, where Rocco shot up the guys, right? Yeah, and he's like, I don't know. It was That's two, Rocco two found out peons that, like, and a fat fuck bartender. And he's like, wait, you think this is unrelated? And then he starts losing it. Yeah. That's when he's he just like, whoa, 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 something's going on here that I don't understand, and this is the first kind of scene I've seen like this, and that's that's really where you start to see his downward spiral, and his kind of, you know, towards this epiphany of... Uh, and his, like, he's he's trying to figure out why, why there are two bullets from the opposite guns in both of these, and it's because Rocco shot him up, and then just, like, went pop, 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 pop. Can we talk about that, that writing, off. though? I think that writing was kind of brilliant. When he's it's just like, he's walking out of the thing and he kind of like pushes through all the detectives and he's like, wait a second. And he takes his arms and he like crosses them and he's shooting. He's like, I think we got ourselves a cowboy. And then it cuts to the scene of Rocco and he finished shoot, shooting the other the strangers. And he's like, quiet, quiet fucking earth, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, damn, man, that was good. That was good. Like, yeah. You know, to call it out, like, we got a cowboy, and then he's, like, literally pretending to be a cowboy when he's shooting. Yeah, but guys. obviously, he's just, like, you can tell it's, like, kind of... It's a little bit forced. I don't know. Like, it's he, He's kind of stressed out by, like, trying to figure out what these guys are doing or what the connection is. Like, there's there's a 
no the, the main target makes sense and then the other two are just kind of like what's going on here? yeah and that's when they bring up, the whole... up as they go along so he has to kind of adapt to that which probably is an fbi agent he's not used to he's used to people he's used to crime scenes being like you know significant to the well that's why i think his character so, arc is the most interesting in in the movie because like he's going in there with this mindset that like okay this is typically how killers do things right like this this is like okay this is looking like a standard mob war so what are we going to see here a bunch of mobsters getting killed on either side and they know the russians and italians but we never hear he's not anticipating mention. he's not anticipating two normal guys to just be like we've had it with these mobsters that's yeah. it yeah and, and you kind of see that because like they never bring up any russian mob after the russian mob the big russian mob killing right it's like not accessible to them because really they kill the monsters because they're there yeah and like then they, they, they fell decide to go on this, right? this crusade and the guy they got to help them is like italian mafia so mm-hmm. that's the those are the leads they have yeah and it makes sense it's almost that. like it's almost well i was gonna say it's almost like how did how did he know it was like the same guys who did the russians but he didn't because he knew that Connor and Murphy did the Russians and he was like, oh, it's self-defense. You guys are free to go. Yeah. It's kind of one of those like, oh, it's just an open and shut case. No problem. And like, who would expect them to escalate from self-defense killing two Russian mobs after a bar like, fight? Oh, they got, a, a, they bar got fight. a taste for blood. Right? It's kind of like, oh, we got, we got a taste for justice. Truth and justice are the tattoos they have on their hands. Yes. The Latin, Latin. Latin phrases, right? Um, Which, by the way, I, I when, when I was fucking like young and obsessed with this movie, you wanted I tried to get to those tattoos, to get the, that ta- those tattoos with me. But fortunately, he had more sense than me. So I'll I tell you right now, tattoos on your hand, especially around places where you grip things and do things, it, it wears out pretty quickly. Um, so even if you had got it when you wanted to get it. And you regretted it, it would have probably been mostly gone now. Yeah, it would have looked like you just had some weird black splotches on your hand unless you went decided to get color. Um, but yeah, so I mean, that goes in. But one of my favorite scenes is when like you really watch his descent into like confusion and like, I thought I had this thing figured out and I don't. And he's at they're at yeah. the cafe and he's kind of drinking. And I actually checked out the different bar prices because it's like, oh, if they shot in Toronto, like they've, there's got to be some differences on the prices of beer. Uh, apparently domestic and import pints are just as cheap as bottles in Boston. But uh, I love that scene when he's like, why did they kill these two guys? Why did they kill the fucking bartender? And he just kind of pauses and everyone's kind of looking at him like, is he going to make a realization here? And he just screams, fuck! (laughs) And they all just kind of like get like, whoa, shit! And he's just losing it. He's like, why did they fucking do this? And it's kind of when you realize oh, yeah. like, he's got this profile of criminals and like this profile of how he analyzes crime and like yeah. how he tries to solve and things. And the McManus brothers do not fit into anything he's experienced. Well, then you throw the wrench of uh, of uh, Rocco in there mm-hmm. too, right? So like you've got this guy who's obviously connected with the two guys that he's yeah. trying to figure out what's going on with, with some total amateur and stuff like that. And it was like, it was and, awesome, yeah, man. Rocco is what throws everything for a loop. So it's like the perfect cocktail of like, not only are they good at what they do, but also they're in the perfect circumstances to cover it up because it doesn't make sense because they got this this stupid mafia package boy working with them. 
who mm-hmm. di- kind of directs them. He's almost like the brains of the operation in a, in a just because of the connections he has, not because of the yeah. actual brains. But he's also, basically like their phone book. You know what I mean? Like, okay, yeah. you know, like we're the Grim Reaper. But also sometimes he goes rogue and like does some stupid shit and that covers up their smart shit. Can we talk and about that... the one scene where they're granting El Duce parole, the Duke parole? I think yeah. it kind of spoke a little bit more towards the uh, the reach and the influence that criminals have. And I found it so ironic that like he comes out to kill these guys because that's what he was hired to do. And then he realizes that they have the same motives and morals as he does. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so I thought it was kind of interesting just because it's like, oh, we're trying to kill all these bad guys. And it's like, well, maybe, you know, good people are being locked up for doing the right thing, you know. And so there's a lot of moral questions in this movie, I suppose, you can kind of derive from it. But it's really not that kind of movie. It's not a movie to scratch the surface beyond let's just kill all the bad yeah. guys. But Again, I, mean, I suppose you can interpret it that like... way. Yeah, surface level is the best way I describe it. It's not trying to say anything deep about those issues. Mm-hmm. It's touching on those issues to to spark um like this fucking big like action packed adventure. But that's it. Like But it's really strange to, to me that like so here's the scene when they're releasing the Duke from prison. Right? Move him. And they've got, like, 18 dudes with shotguns. And he gets taken out of his, like, birdcage. And there's, like, six dudes surrounding him with shotguns. And they're like, yeah, you get parole. What? What do you, what do you mean you grant this fucking guy parole? Like, obviously he's a threat and still a threat. You know what I well, mean? Well, that, that, that scene was cut with the scene of uh, Papa Joe talking to um, the old, the, his the retired dad, His dad's boss, buddy, right? the retired mafia yeah, guy, his, right? Yeah, basically his dad's retired sidekick. Mm-hmm. And he's, like, talking about, like, they basically talking him up. Oh, your father, ne- like, never used this guy unless he was necessary. He's a total we monster. We only used he him three him times. Kids. It's like fucking yeah. Newfies now. What's going on? <laughs> basically. No, but I mean, but like, he was like, he was like, yeah, explaining why, like, this guy's not to be taken lightly. Like, you don't just go to him every time you got a problem, but you go to him when you got no other options and. Yeah. Like, all the guards are around to show, like, that he's, like, everyone in this prison knows he's a fucking big deal. Like, he's not to be taken lightly. And, um, yeah, then he says, uh, basically, he said, I can't remember the exact thing. He's like, he's like, the problem is he, there, he's been rotten in prison for, like, the 25 20, or 30 25 years. years. Don't even know if he's alive, yeah. And he says, like, oh, well, they're, he's, like, in prison. Like, he, he and uh, Papa Joe goes, well, there's ways around that. And then the 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 old guy goes okay go find one and as soon as he says that it cuts back to the the prison and that's when they stamp parole so it's like mainly it's just like right to the point like papa joe used his mob connections to get the duke paroled because he need him yeah no which which totally makes sense but it was kind of one of those things where it's like is this showing like the reach that these criminals have that this guy totally has you know a total disdain for mainly yeah and it's again because this movie's like it knows what it is right it's not like doing a deep dive into stuff like it's surface surface level stuff like that papa joe has a lot of influence as a as a criminal boss so he can get the duke paroled if he wants same way that like he's like at the final scene he's in the courtroom he's like 
talking things up, like talking about his mama. My mama was making a pizza pie. The Genovese, the butcher, right? Like he's using half Italian, half English. And 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 like those two reporters are like, oh, he's got the jury eating out of his hand. They're like, he's going to get off. Yeah, it's like to the the point. Like they're just going to like go to the point and like, it's it's really superficial on the surface, but like that's all the movie's trying to do, like get across the point. These old mafia tropes, like that's why I say like when when I say like he oh he drew uh, um, he he drew like a lot of uh, in inspiration for like Scorsese films and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like a lot of those old mafia tropes that 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 back in the day like they were trying to establish. Like you just got to take for granted in this movie. It's established. Yeah, yeah. Just understand that it can happen, right? Basically, like just, just yeah. Just know and don't don't question it. I just thought it was funny how like you surround a guy with a bunch of dudes with shotguns, and all of a sudden they're like, "Oh yeah, you're good." Like, yeah. We don't feel comfortable well, that, I mean, moving. We don't feel comfortable moving point. you through a prison. It just goes to prove the point of like Papa Joe's influence, right? Yeah, yeah. Not only can he like you, you know, know who... get off when they're damning evidence against him at the end of the movie, but also like. If he needs this fucking lethal assassin um, freed, even though like the whole prison's like, well, this guy doesn't move unless we got eighteen guards with shotguns on him. Like Papa Joe can make it happen because that's how powerful he is. Do you think that Papa Joe could have been playing by De Niro better? I think he could have. Yeah, I think he. I think he might have been. I don't know if he would have been better necessarily, but I think like in terms of casting, if you're looking at casting, you know, Smacker, and you're thinking, oh, De Niro. If you well, have the opportunity, why wouldn't you play De Niro as like the mob boss? That's what I'm or, saying, like, out of everyone who you that's out of everyone you um you mentioned, like that was alternative for Smacker, I think like Kevin Spacey's the only one who could have played could have played him the basically the same as Defoe played him. Mm-hmm. Just because just because of the phenomenal acting talent. Yeah. Um I think like if you're talking about the other guys like Bill Murray, I think I think there's a version of that character Bill Murray could have played well. Yeah. Um, but it's a different it's a very different version of the character. Absolutely. Would have been a totally and different I think feel. The same way, I think the same way like um and De Niro, like you, you mentioned De Niro, like I definitely def, De Niro in nineteen ninety nine, definitely I think he could have played that role well. It just would have been much different from the way Defoe played it. Mm-hmm. But there's a version of the character that that De Niro could play well. At the same time, I think like there's a version of Papa Joe that De Niro could have played well. Now, but here's, it would, would here's have been a question for you: Do you think Willem Dafoe could pull off drag in in regular life? You know what I mean? No, I was, I was trying to figure not. out like the that fact that scene. that one guy is like so fucking horny for Willem Dafoe in a wig. Yes, yeah, it's like just just I have, out there. I have, like, how the fuck? I don't like, even know. No way. And he's like, oh, man, you know, this guy's known for sending over a premium box. I'm like, that's Willem Dafoe in a wig. Like, what do you mean? Exactly. What, is, what are you used to that, having sex that with? Is the, <laughs> sir, that is the Green Goblin. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to say, I've got to say, like, the, he, he pulled it off in terms of, like, the confidence and the acting. It was fantastic. But at the same time, that mob guy, like, way overacted that. You know what that I mean? Guy, like, it was, like, totally yeah. under it. It was... Oh my god! Oh, I, I like, have to let you inside. Like he just couldn't help himself. He's just like, uh, like you ready for the champ, and it's like, oh yeah, the, the the wig slowly <laughs> comes off. Like that was the first indicator that it was a dude. 
Uh, and he's like, wait a second, aren't you fucking, aren't you the Green Goblin? <laughs> Norman Osborn? <laughs> and then he fucking just kicks him in the balls a bunch of times. Yeah, yeah. You know what, I'm going to give him credit for this. When when I was watching that scene again, and I was kind of laughing, I'm like, Willem Dafoe just kind of pops up, pops him one in the head with a, with a gun. I was like, man, how did he shoot him in the face when he was already laying on the ground after getting kicked in the balls? And then when I watched it closer again, it was through the bottom of the chin, and I was like, oh, okay, okay, they, they took some time with this. They definitely, there was a little bit of care taken by Troy Duffy in the directing and, and the way that things went down, so I give him credit for that. Um, I think we might be beating a dead horse now, though. There's a lot to this movie we could break down and, and enjoy, but I, th I think, Pat, we should probably just get to our ratings here. We gotta get to it at some point. Like, I could talk yeah. about this movie all night, but I think you're right. Like, we should... Uh, My we, Guinness we, is we basically done. I figure we might as well. My Guinness is gone, and I'm, I'm just reduced to... <laughs> to your bourbon. Slamming, slamming <laughs> bourbon again. So, yeah. <laughs> Before all right, this let's, gets too let's, messy, let's, let's give our, our ratings and... And now here, here's here's the thing I want to bring up right now. I want two ratings. I want oh, okay. a nostalgia rating based on your interpretation of the movie and how much you appreciate it for what it was when we were younger. And then I want an inter you know a rating for if we had never seen this movie before and watched it for the first time this week, what would you have rated it? And I, and, I just, the, and then you'll do yours. A hundred percent. Yeah. I got it all Oof, lined up. That's a big. That's a big ambush. Okay, it is. It's my, totally. Well, I, I was, was, waiting, I was, I was ready. I was ready with with my nostalgia rating. I so, knew. It. Yeah. Yeah, my nostalgia rating. Like I was tempted, but I can't give it a three point five. No, that's just that's unfair. Too tall in order, and okay, my my. I, I mean, the whole episode speaks for itself. My nostalgia rating is a three point three. Damn. Okay, which I think is is the highest rating I've given anything so far. Mm -hmm. No, you're asking for like pretend, pretend like this isn't one of my favorite movies, and just imagine oh, going into this that, blind now. I almost, I almost feel like I should put it on right now, and and we should just watch me watch the movie <laughs> for two hours. But we can do that. Best we'll do it after the episode. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say. Um, that's hard. Like I, I don't know because I watched it for this for this episode and it was so yeah. much fun. You don't um, have to I'll like bastardize my... it. Like I know, I know Dude. we, we kind of we we shit on some stuff, but like, yeah, don't feel like I'll you have to change it too myself. much. I mean, yeah, it's over the top, and and the message that it's trying to deliver is like very ham-fisted but i understand that it's supposed to be i guess uh, i'm gonna say 2.7 i don't know that's Minus really interesting show, i'll say 2.7 that's really interesting man i like that i like that so obviously it's I, I my, my like, turn i now. just i like it i can't pretend i don't like it so i don't, I don't know I, what to tell you i know it, it you know it's it's hard with that personal bias but i'm glad you're able to bring it down um i felt the same way uh, this movie, a 3.1, just because I felt anything higher was kind of like just getting my jollies off. You know what I mean? Like, just being like, this is my favorite movie of all time. So I give it a 3.1 oh, yeah. with my nostalgia rating. 
100%. I mean, with your nostalgia rating, it's supposed to get your jollies off. That's the point of nostalgia. It, and it, it was fantastic, right? So I gave it a 3.1. I didn't want to set the bar too high or too low. Okay. Uh, All right. My non-nostalgia rating was a little higher than yours. I gave it a 2.8. Okay. Um, the biggest right. concerns for me were, you know, especially in that last scene in the courthouse, was the lack of accents, which were common throughout the movie, but really notable in the big oh, speech. Two- Two of those guys are doing all right. One of them's doing amazing. The uh, one of them's doing pretty good, and and, and one, one of them needs not. to get the fuck out of this movie. Yeah, yeah. Ironically, the most successful more recently in terms of acting, I suppose. Although Billy Connolly is hard to, I think he's he's done pretty damn well for himself. Oh, he's doing fine. This movie. Uh, but Norman Reedus, I think he really shit the bed on the accent in the final scene. Terrible. Um, but yeah, I think a two point eight for a non nostalgia rating. Um, you can't take this movie for a message. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. As much as you is as much as I like tried to break yeah, some of those points be, down. It would be easy for this for the, making this movie to be like to kind of like overstretch, like you know, like uh, like reach too far in in trying to make the message like more meaningful and like you know for for someone like Troy Duffy making a movie like this to try to say more than he has the right to say. And I Mm -hmm. don't think he does. I think he understands like, this is a, not like a deep examination of like morality, Catholic morality or vigilante justice, but really it's just using like imagery and tropes of Catholic morality and vigilante justice to make a really good violent action movie, crime movie. And I I think, I think it really hurts that line pretty well. I think the only redeeming factor in terms of like the Catholic thing is like the whole at the end is like, it's not how far you're willing to take this, but do you have the constitution to do what needs to be done? And then the movie kind of ends and they go to the credits where they do all the interviews and stuff like that. And so for me, that was kind of like, Oh shit, man. Like this has a lot of room. This is a lot of room to move around later. Exactly. Um, Yeah. And it was good. And it was really well. Great it was setup really well for a ended. fantastic sequel. I'll tell you that much. Right. And it We've sucks. We've given our ratings to all bets are off. Yeah, and we waited a long time. But I mean, like, it's like it's one of those things where it's like you kind of it kind of leaves you wanting for more. You're kind of like, well, what's the next thing? Like, you've already toppled the mafia boss. So what happens next? And so, oh man, I think the, I think the ratings are you, fair. Let Let me tell you though. Did, are you aware that there's there's another? Boondock Saints movie? We weren't going to talk about this. Or oh, uh, we gave her a rating, so it's done. It's done. So, so yeah, let's just let's just intrude on our thirtieth episode idea. <laughs> I think I gotta, we already said gotta, what our thirtieth episode is going to be. I got a lot to say about the sequel, but we're going to leave it at that. I think that's more than fair to just to say we're going to leave it at that. Yeah. Uh, we we've I think crushed we've enough, gone long enough here. Crushed enough whiskey. Crushed enough Guinness. Uh, it's been a good time. I don't know if this is the episode you were waiting for, but it's definitely the episode you deserved, everybody. Because I'll tell you right now. This, fuck you. This was a great fucking movie, and if you don't agree, yeah, go fuck yourself. Um, yeah. And on stop that listening. note... Yeah, no, exactly. Don't stop listening. Yeah. It's on fine, that it's note, fine to disagree. don't forget, you guys can always find us on, on YouTube for the, the raw, unedited version of our... Silly conversations, I guess, is a nice way to put it. Uh, but you can also find our episodes on iTunes and Spotify and Anchor. 
and uh, always on our Twitch video on demands. And with that, we're going to say good night. I hope you guys had a good time and enjoy yourselves. And always, always, always remember, this movie is great. Check it out. Boondock Saints. Have a good night, everybody.